This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. It's here, George. It's 1-24 to time. It certainly is. It's the it's the big one. It's the highly anticipated show of the show of the year, isn't it? It's the one when we divide opinions, cause arguments, and probably row amongst ourselves. But I was say, ever, cause arguments amongst ourselves. Never mind. Anyone lo- else. Looking forward to this one. It is like our signature episode, and really, really looking forward to it. It's the final, you know, final one before the action starts. It's our big preview, and I'm determined to get stuck into this. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've woken up with plenty of energy this morning. That's probably because uh, the little one stopped out last night, so I've actually had some proper kip. So I'm hoping for a high level of performance today. This is obviously going to be a bumper episode. We're going to go through our individual league tables. I know a lot of places where they have more than one obviously podcast guest like to combine a joint table. The whole fun of this for me and George is being able to pit ourselves against each other. So we'll be going through our individual 1-24s, to trying to give as much insight and analysis as to why we've made these decisions. Um, sometimes it's just going to be on gut feeling. I know I can certainly say that on quite a few, rather than a lot of logic. But there is hopefully a sprinkling of um, good thinking in there across between the two of us, <laughs> across four, uh, 48 picks. So, I have to say, George, this has probably been the toughest for me in terms of putting my 1-24s to together since we started doing this three or four years ago. It's the hardest I found it. I kind of knew what my top four was going to be, not necessarily the order, and I kind of knew what my bottom six was going to be, not necessarily the order. But in between that, I have moved everyone around. Between 5th to 18th has been an absolute free-for-all across the summer. Yeah, it's been really, really hard to call. I must admit, I have fiddled around with my predictions. Certainly in the last 12 hours or so, I have faffed around with them a hell of a lot. I mean, there's one team that I had in one position last night. I've woke up this morning, I've bumped them down by about six places. So, you know, it's been really, really difficult to pick this. I agree with you. It's been the hardest we've had to predict in years. And, you know, before we get started, before we get into it, we fully understand that there's going to be fans of those clubs that are not going to agree with what we've put. You know, I've seen 1-24 to predictions from other people that I don't agree with, but it's all about opinions. It's why the game is what we love. And, you know, we'll more than likely be left with egg in our face when we come back and look at these next May. It always happens. But, you know, it's part and parcel of the fun, isn't it? It's what happens. We'll see what we're going to do. However, there's some that I'd like to think have got logic, even though probably a lot of people won't agree. So, And it's worth adding as well, neither of us know what one another has picked at this point. Yeah, yeah I've got We've absolutely got no idea what George's table looks like and vice versa. And I am also going to put in the caveat, as I always do, doing this before the transfer window shuts is near impossible. That is a massive caveat for me. I'm sure if we did... A revised table at the end of the transfer window, even if you never told us the results of the first four match days, we'd still have a very different table. So we've got to work with what we've got, but that's enough of the excuses. Massive thank you as always to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you go and visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all Summit devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And as always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed where you can get the podcast on all your usual platforms and follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. Let's get cracking. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. 
So, George, we're going to start at the bottom of the championship and work our way upwards, as we usually do. In 24th place, I have gone for Queen's Park Rangers as my bottom club. And this is just a lot of doom and gloom in 2023 for QPR, isn't it? They've had a horrendous year. I was having a look the other day at the annual league table for the calendar year, which Transfer Marks provide, and their record is just absolutely abysmal. Now, when I look at some of the transfer business as well, which obviously goes into this, they've lost Seni Dieng. Now, I know Seni Dieng didn't have a great year last year. He wasn't up to his usual standards. However, I still think he is one of the better goalkeepers in the championship. I still think that is a loss for Queen's Park Rangers, especially when he's been replaced with an ageing Asmir Begovic that's played very little football in the last two or three years. So I'm seeing that as a downgrade first and foremost. Rob Dickey has gone. Again, didn't have a good year last year, but I still think he's a very good footballer. His first season at QPR, he was probably 8, 9 out of 10. Last year, it was probably 3, 4 out of 10. QPR haven't really replaced him and again, haven't got an abundance of players that they can just be like, oh, he had a bad season last year, even though we think he's quite good. Let's get him gone and we're okay with that. Gareth Ainsworth has recently come out and said there's no money available to spend in terms of transfer fees. And it's a squad for me that has got serious character questions, which is why I've put them bottom. They quite frankly went missing for six months last year because people will automatically point, well, they've still got Chris Willock. Well, they've still got Ilias Chair. Absolutely correct. Two very good footballers at championship level probably should be playing for top six clubs in the championship. But again, they were there last year. They were there for most of and available for most of the, the last season and certainly for 2023. And they went missing for six months. And I don't think that this squad has gone over enough of an overhaul to fit what Gareth Ainsworth needs. I've got question marks over Gareth Ainsworth's ability at the championship level. And I think the only way he can definitely operate at championship level is by having a squad that's perfectly moulded for him. And I just don't think QPR have still got that. And therefore, we saw how badly it can be if that's the case. The form last season was horrendous. There was fans that wanted Ainsworth sacked at certain points, even though he'd only just come in because there was a genuine fear they were going to get relegated. And even the two games that they won towards the back end of last season, which sort of kept them in the division, it's not a sustainable way of playing football. They had about... 30% 30% possession in both games and one shot on target and one at Stoke. And I can't remember <laughs> what the other win was off the top of my head. That, it was the famous win at Burnley, wasn't it? Sorry? It was the famous win at Burnley against all Of course, the Burnley win. They, they won, won at, at Burnley Moore. and they won at Stoke and that kept them up, really. But it's not a sustainable way of playing football and getting results over a 46-game season. So for me, I've got to look at a club that's on a genuine downward decline, transfer business that I don't really agree with, in terms of strengthening the squad. I think they've lost two players for not a lot of money that, yes, didn't have a great season last year, both of them, Indiang and Dickey, but are very good players generally and better than what they've got. There's no obvious signs that they're going to have some of that money to spend to strengthen. I've got question marks over the manager. And biggest of all, I don't think that the squad has got the necessary backbone for a relegation fight, as they proved last year by falling from first in October to wherever they finished in the end, just above the relegation zone. So for me, Queen's Park Rangers, bottom of the championship for 23-24. 
Well, I'm going to have to say Snap. It's the only way that I can open my account for mine. I've also got QPR at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the standings. For many of the reasons you've outlined there, QPR's recruitment over the summer has been fairly uninspiring. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to the players they brought in, because you know, Asmi and Begovic has enjoyed a really a really solid career at Premier League level, the likes of Stoke, uh, recently Everton a little bit. Overall, though, the recruitment is uninspiring, isn't it? I think to be fair, you know, Morgan Fox has come in, established Championship player, steady Eddie but not likely one that's going to change that team. You look at QPR's current crop of attackers, it's threadbare, isn't it? It is really, really light on options in forward areas. Paul Smith's obviously come back to the club after a spell at Leighton Orient. Did okay last season in League Two. Obviously, it's a big jump, League Two, to the Championship. Plays more of a winger than a striker. And like you've said, that the squad is not really aligned with Gareth Haynes with his vision of the way he likes to play football. And QPR fans, they're not going to want to see that style of football compared to where you know where they were, what was it, 10 months ago, shall we say, nine months ago under Mick Beale when they were riding high towards the top of the table. They were they were playing some really nice, pleasing on the attractive football. And now the, there's a complete shift in style. It didn't work last season. They, they were very fortunate to avoid the drop, weren't they? In fairness, towards the end of the season, they, they did get lucky that there were three teams worse than themselves. But... Like I've said, they're, they're so light in forward areas and obviously things can change between now and the end of the window. But are they going to be an attractive proposition for players? Probably not. You know, they, I think they've won three league games since the 17th of December last year, which sums up just how torrid a time that football club has had. And it is hard ahead of the new season to look at QPR and view them in a positive light, if you like. It is really difficult. There is a lot of negativity around the place. Obviously, there, there is an argument that pre-season friendlies don't mean an awful lot, which in the grand scheme of things, results don't. But they lost 5-0 at Oxford on Saturday, yesterday, as we record this on Sunday morning. That's a real a real blow to to cap off your pre-season campaign ahead of the competitive action starting a week later. So I think it's going to be a real challenge for QPR to keep themselves afloat this this coming season. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. And like I say, they were, they were, diffi- they were lucky to survive last year. Ainsworth... Style of play was criticised all the time. Can't see it changing. And with the players that they've got, it's going to be hard for them to implement the style that we... Was successful at Wickham, to be fair, certainly in League One. But the Championship's a whole different kettle of fish. And for me personally, I think it's going to be incredibly hard for them to, to survive this coming season. So for that reason, QPR, unfortunately for them, bottom of the pile in 23-24. So we've both gone for Queen's Park Rangers to finish rock bottom. George, who have you got in 23rd place? Well, 23rd, I've, I've had to go for Sheffield Wednesday, another club that is not in the best of positions ahead of the coming season. And it's quite remarkable, the, the transformation in mood around a football club in such a short space of time. Obviously, promoted last season from League One in the, in the most dramatic fashion, obviously fell short in the automatic race. 96 points, club record for clean sheets, club record for points, a club record on beat and run. And it still wasn't enough to get up automatically. They obviously went through the playoffs 4-0 down to Peter United in the first leg, staged that unbelievable comeback at Hillsborough in the second leg, went to Wembley, edged past Barnsley in the final moments. The, the mood around the football club was one of in immense energy. It was I've never seen anything like it, the way a team can just, you know, have the the misery of losing a first leg of a playoff semi-final, come back in the way they did and get promoted. And then obviously the bombshell in mid-June when when Darren Moore left the club unexpectedly, he departed. Then there was a couple of weeks of, of, of a manager search, many names, 
cropped up in the betting odds. M- many names were interviewed, and obviously the, the chairman Dave Ponchancier in the end settled on um, Chisco Munoz, which was an interesting appointment. Promoted with Watford, of course, but I think even though that you know it's a it's a good trait to have, isn't it? Getting a team promoted out of the Championship. Not every manager can say they've achieved that, but I think when you compare the squad that he had at Watford to what he's got to work with at Sheffield Wednesday. It is a considerable difference. That team at Watford was packed with stars. Ismail Assar was the obviously the main, the main architect of that promotion-winning season. Wednesday don't have a player like that. Recruitment has obviously been incredibly slow at Hillsborough so far this summer. Um, four new signings through the door. Three new faces. One of one of the four signings, Reese James, was on loan from Blackpool last season, which he did really well. It's a solid sign in that one. The other three additions they've brought in Juan Delgado. And um, Paul Valentin, two unknown quantities from overseas. And obviously, Ashley Fletcher's arrived on loan from Watford for the season. All three signings, though, of course, in, in the case of the two foreign lads, it's it's hard to gauge a judgment on them because we, we are completely in the dark about them. They are unknown quantities. They could be absolutely superb signings. Time will tell. Ashley Fletcher's record doesn't exactly inspire confidence, does it? Two goals in 26 on loan at Wigan Athletic last season. And... All in all, Wednesday are playing catch-up with the rest. Obviously, they finished their season late in being involved in the playoffs. Um, there's obviously been a lot of turmoil over the summer. There's been a lot of problems gone off the field. And by all accounts, the recruitment so far suggests that the manager's not exactly got a budget to work with. They are very low-key signings, shall we say. They probably, for me, need five or six more at the very least. But they've got to be a step in quality, I feel, to what they've already brought in. So I think that you know Wednesday have got their backs up against the wall at the minute. It's going to be a tall order for them. I think the the crumb of comfort that they can take potentially is that they have got some experienced heads in there. It is an aging squad on the at the same time though, and they do need an injection of, of freshness and energy into that team. I think if Wednesday are to survive, which as things stand does look a tall order because of the recruitment and way things have gone. And as you said, Elliot, at the start, if we made these predictions after the window had shut, opinions may change. It is very possible. But I do think Wednesday, if they are to stand any chance of staying up, they've got to keep Hillsborough a fortress. That was the backbone of their success last season and the year before as well in League One when they missed out in the playoffs to Sunderland. They, I think it was three league defeats at home in the last two seasons. So they've been very, very good at home. However, they've got to implement a new style with a very different sort of manager to, to Darren Moore was with Chisco Munoz. So it's going to be really hard for Wednesday. And at the moment, there's a lot of negativity around the football club. It's going to be hard for them. However, things can change and we can be surprised. It is the championship. Anything can happen. But at the moment, looking at it, I think Wednesday, you know, out of the teams that you'd expect to be in around the bottom bottom six, they're probably one of the worst equipped at this moment in time. I've got Rotherham United in 23rd. Um, For me... I think that the squad is probably slightly weaker than it was at this time last season, at the end of last season, should I say. And they stayed up relatively comfortably in the end. But you have to say a lot of that was down to a very fast start under Paul Warren, although the form under Matt Taylor was good and and decent and it progressed and there was an identity starting to form. But for me, I just look at the squad and I think there's a real lack of goals. Can you rely on Jordan Hugel to definitely get you double figures? I'm not convinced at this stage of his career. I think you need players in and around him. I do think there's been some decent additions. Fred Onyedima seems like a good signing, but they've lost Che Obene. Is Onyedima better than Obene? Well, you'd have to say no, because Luton have swapped one for the other, basically. So 
I do think the squad's slightly weaker and I think the, the championship is stronger. And that is why I'm predicting Rotherham to drop a little bit. I do think that it can't be ignored that if you took away the quick start under Paul Warren, they might have just about gone down last year or it would have been a lot closer than it was in terms of them staying up. And this year it's going to be so much tougher. Now, I imagine Rotherham are going to be one of the clubs that are particularly dependent on the Premier League loan market. So I think their squad could change quite a little bit in the next four weeks or so. And therefore, again, going back to what we said at the start, my opinion on Rotherham could change depending on what the squad is. But this for me is rather than a a gut feeling of like QPR being just on the down, Rotherham, I just look at the squad, it doesn't look strong enough right now for the level of the championship this season. But that could change. So Rotherham are one that, although I've got the second bottom, I could see them being higher, if that makes sense. I'm not all doom and gloom, but I just don't think there's enough goals in that squad right now for me to say they will definitely finish outside the relegation zone. So I've got those them in 23rd. In t- excuse me, in 22nd, I've got Sheffield Wednesday like you. It's just a club in disarray, as you said, after losing Darren Moore. Cisco Munoz got promotion with Watford, but he's got he's got such little time to work with this group. He's got an erratic owner who I don't think we can underestimate how well Darren Moore did to manage upwards to keep Chancery quiet for 18 months. The feeling around the club was probably the best it ever was since they missed out on promotion in 2016 at Wembley against Hull City in the Championship playoff final. And the owner has basically took a massive sledgehammer to that. And having got promoted in the most dramatic of fashions, having got 96 points in the season, the amount of negativity around the football club is pretty much unmatched, I would say, in the Championship right now, which is staggering considering where you think the club was two months ago, having just got promoted at Wembley with a 93rd minute, 123rd minute winner, should I say, against their local rivals. And they're just on the back foot aren't they? Because they were behind schedule anyway because they played until the end of the May end of May in the playoffs. They've had to change manager, which wasn't a quick process. Recruitment's been slow. The signings have been uninspiring and have arrived quite late, obviously, in terms of not having a full pre-season. And so I don't see right now how you can say anything other than I'd expect Sheffield Wednesday to get relegated. So for me, my bottom three is Queen's Park Rangers, Rotherham United and Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I can't disagree with that too much. But in 22nd place for me, I have gone for a different choice to you to join the bottom three. And it was one that I debated long and hard over. And it's it's almost one that I fear could get quite a bit of backlash, if you like, with the, the fact that it's Mr Neil Warnock at the helm. And I've gone for Huddersfield Town in 22nd place. Obviously, Huddersfield performed a miracle last season. There was no denying that. Neil Warnock came in and transform that football club in a way that was beyond belief. We always thought his, his achievement of keeping Rotherham up in 2015-16 would never be topped. But I think the Huddersfield great escape was even better. It was against all odds. They were they were doomed when he took over that football club and he, he obviously guided them to safety relatively comfortably in the end. However, I fear for them this, this coming season, even though Warnock is at the helm and he is a superb manager. We know he is. He's arguably one of the greatest managers this division's ever seen. However, the squad does look pretty uninspiring. The the transfer business has been practically non-existent. Only two through two new faces through the door so far. Chris Maxwell, uh, the goalkeeper, and Tom Edwards on loan from Stoke City. Obviously, things can change in the window, and we're going to say that for a lot of clubs over the rest of this episode. But I just fear for Huddersfield ahead of this season. The recruitment's been really sluggish, as I've said. 
And I think the biggest problem I've got is I look at that Huddersfield team and where do the goals come from at the moment? I think that's the big concern. They only scored 47 times last season in the league. Obviously, Danny Ward, the season before last, when they got to the playoffs, was really, really good. He regressed last year. He's not getting any younger. Jordan Rhodes, he's not been the same player for five, six years now. Likely to be moved on, you could possibly say, before the end of the window. Huddersfield, like Rotherham, like you said, are probably going to rely on these Premier League loan signings. And once Premier League clubs have finalised their squads, that should you know free players up to make those moves and these Championship clubs can bring in those additions. However, Huddersfield are a club, despite obviously the takeover coming through, are a team that in comparison to other Championship squads are lagging behind, I, I, I feel personally. I don't think the quality is there compared to some of the other teams in and around that position at the table. So for that reason, I do fear for Huddersfield ahead of the coming season. But I'm not saying that Huddersfield will go down sort of with a whimper and be be left lagging behind everybody else. I think they will run it close. I just think quality of other teams just could, you know, kind of shove them out a little bit. But that's not to say Neil Warnock, the the magic wand he comes equipped with, is not going to be able to produce another miracle. Because I think looking at Huddersfield with the state of them, uh, as the, the squad is at the moment, I think survival would be another really good achievement based on the players that they've got available to them. So I don't think they're going to go down sort of being hammered by everybody and blown away and left lagging behind. I fear it could be close, but I just think Huddersfield might just fall short this year. So my bottom three, working upwards, QPR, Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield Town. I've got Huddersfield Town in 21st, so I am sort of aligned with your thinking. And I've wrote in my notes... Probably would tip them to go down minus Neil Warnock. So for me, yeah. the, the thing that makes me it's think they to look will at just it, about it? stay up is Neil Warnock because I think, like you, looking at the squad, it's not packed with quality, certainly not in attacking areas. But Neil Warnock's contact book is packed with quality. Yes. Probably in attacking areas. So my, my theory with him is they will get a number nine in. They will get some loan signings in that will give this squad a bit of an uplift. Not Warnock said throughout the summer that they've been letting players go to free it up, knowing that they'll be able to get something later in the window, which is not ideal. But I think I definitely am happy to say if Neil Warnock wasn't the manager, I probably would have tipped them to go down. Um, the squad is arguably weaker than it was last year. We've got Sorba Thomas coming back in, which is hopefully a good thing. If they, He's not had a great 18 months, but if... Um, Anyone can sort of use that man management style to get the best out of him again. That would be Neil Warnock. Same with Josh Caroma, who we saw flashes of back to his best at championship level. They are absolutely desperate for a number nine. And the big question is, can he pull a rabbit out of the hat again? I think he probably can because I trust that he'll be able to get a few players in before the end of the window. So I, I went 21st based on that thought. But for me, for me, I'm kind of looking at it and thinking... I, I expect QPR to definitely go down of the three. I could see Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield. Realistically, I could see any two from that three going. Um, I kind of group those together a little bit. I think QPR will definitely go down, but Rotherham, Wednesday and Huddersfield, depending who has the better window in the next month, I think I could quite happily interchange any of those three, really. Yeah, I suppose in a way you're kind of looking at it in a sense that QPR are kind of the ones that are going to definitely go whereas Huddersfield, so. Wednesday and Rotherham are kind of maybe going to scrap it out a little bit more with one of those three being able just to cling on, whereas QPR are in real trouble. Yeah, that's how I feel anyway. We'll yeah. go for a little bit quick, more quick fire. Um, I'll do the next three of mine. Uh, do you just do my 21st? 
Oh yeah, or, sorry, I forgot yeah. you've not done 21st yet. No, well, it's a quick, it's literally a swap with you. 21st, I've gone for Rotherham. Um, I think the Millers will have just about enough, even though they might run it close. I think pre-season, I know you can't read a lot into pre-season results. Pre-season results have been quite encouraging for Rotherham. This Some of the fans have been saying that they've played some quite nice football at times. Signs of Matt Taylor's plan coming to fruition a little bit more. Recruitment, though not sort of standing back and looking, wow, you kind of look at it and think, yeah, solid, solid additions for where Rotherham expect to be. I think the addition of Fred Onyedimer, as you mentioned, he came in on loan on, on Friday, I think it was. That was a really smart loan sign. I think there's potential there for, for a club at Rotherham's level to get a really good tune out of him and for him to deliver the goods, both in terms of assists and goals. I think Cafu coming in from Nottingham Forest, again, solid in the middle. I think for where Rotherham are at, I think it's a player that could really steady the ship for them. Grant Hall's obviously returned, centre-half. Dylan Phillips, the goalkeeper's come in. They do need a little bit more, certainly in terms of firepower. Chidozi Ogbeni is obviously the big player that they've got to replace. They've got to replace his attacking contributions. But like we've both said, the Premier League loan market could work to Rotherham's advantage and to Huddersfield as well. I think the home form obviously will be key for Rotherham because we know that they've had struggles on their travels in the Championship every time they've been in this division. But at home, they can cause a surprise. And for that reason, I think Matt Taylor... Going into a second season in charge, obviously this time having had a full pre-season, I think he will be able to get a little bit more out of this team and be a little bit more consistently. Like you said, Jordan Hugel, big pressure on him. They do need attacking reinforcements. There's no doubt about that. Someone a little bit younger, a bit of freshness, a bit of pace, which I'm sure will arrive. But I think Rotherham, at the moment, are probably better equipped than Huddersfield, despite kind of Huddersfield having a very, very experienced manager and Matt Taylor sort of still up and coming despite his achievements at Exeter. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It's always reassuring, but we've got the same bottom four, just in a slightly different order. Right, I'm going to go through a few of my next picks moving upwards. 20th place, I've got Cardiff City. I had Cardiff to go down for most of the summer, I'll be honest. I felt quite strongly since the back end of last season they would go down this year in a similar sort of thought process to Queen's Park Rangers. However, it's impossible to ignore that they have had a very good transfer market, in my opinion. They have addressed... The big issue, which was goals and creativity. You cannot tell me that bringing in Carlin Grant, who I still think is very underrated at championship level, I think he gets a very tough ride because of the price tag, which he can't dictate. I think he is definitely a top 10 championship forward, in my opinion. If you if you can put an arm around him, keep him fit, I think he's a top 10 championship forward. So that's a massive upgrade on what they had last season, undoubtedly. And... Aaron Ramsey, how can that not be a big boost to what they already had? Now, I am not saying that Aaron Ramsey is going to play like he played for Wales or for Arsenal or Juventus in his prime. Clearly, he is on a downwards curve. But when you compare it to what Cardiff had previously last season, he's going to be a big upgrade no matter what, as long as he can stay fit. Of course, the manager, Errol Buller, is a is an unknown quantity in English football. But from the research I've done and the snippets I've seen, I don't think he's here to take any rubbish into scrap around at the bottom of the table. He seems quite ambitious and I think that's good. I think Cardiff need a manager that's going to keep pushing them upwards and driving the standards. For me, it's if they keep the attackers fit, if you keep Callum Robinson, Carlin Grant, Aaron Ramsey fit, they'll be fine. If they get lots of injuries, I definitely think they could go down still. because So it's the summer business that has convinced me that to drag them up because I've had them second bottom probably for most of the summer behind QPR. But I think that it's impossible to ignore that they have addressed the big problem. And 
the defence was never too shaky. You know, Perry and G's a solid player. Mark McGuinness had a very good loan at Sheffield Wednesday and did. He had, it was a little bit inconsistent after he came back to Cardiff, but not too bad. And they've got solid midfielders as well. It's, it's, it's a lower half squad, but I think that the attacking signs they brought in, if they can keep them fit, could elevate this team and keep them away from trouble and potentially higher than 20th. I think they could go lower if they, play, if they, they just don't click the attackers and they struggle with injuries. So I've got Cardiff in 20th. In 19th place, I've gone for Plymouth Argyle. I think they've signed very well. Again, they've they've really done well in the transfer market. I'm shocked that Norwich have let Barley Mumba go back to Plymouth Argyle. Um, Morgan Whitaker, I'm less surprised about. I don't think he ever really fit in at Swansea, but those are two really good signings. I like Kane Kessler-Hayden as well. I think that he had a really good loan in League Two. Didn't quite work out at Huddersfield, but I don't think that was necessarily down to him. I think circumstance didn't help. I don't think we can judge anyone too badly on how they played under Mark Fotheringham as a general rule going forward. And I think Plymouth are just smarter than the rest down there, to be honest. The recruitment and the way that club is managed is phenomenal. It's a model EFL club. When we talk about Coventry's and Luton's over the last few years, Plymouth are the up-and-coming version of that. And in three years, we might be talking about Plymouth in the same way that we spoke about Luton and Coventry. But it's worth remembering that Luton only stayed up by the skin of their teeth in the first season. So I don't want to go too hard on on Plymouth and put them in the top half, for example, but I'm really positive on them. I think that they're so smart in terms of the recruitment, the way the clubs run. And the home form, home park, is just going to be so important for them. It was a fortress last year in winning the League One title, and it needs to be again if they're going to stay up. But I think Plymouth will stay up. I think that they're just they're just smarter down, than the rest of the teams down there is the way I would I would put it. The business has been good. And I fancy them to keep their place in the championship for next year. And then finally in 18th place, I've gone for Preston North End, which might be a little bit lower than a few expect, but there's just no goals in the squad at the moment from what I'm looking at. Emil Reese is still out. He's not going to uh, be back until sort of mid to late December, uh, not December, September, I meant to say. And he's not played football in a long time, having had a serious knee injury. Tom Cannon, obviously, has gone back to Everton. There's a, about a, a queue of 12 teams wanting him back. And I do genuinely believe Preston have got a really good chance of getting him back. But I, I thought they had a very good chance of getting Cameron Archer back. And they ultimately came second in that race to Middlesbrough. And I, I don't see how a top half or a top 10 or a playoff chasing side doesn't come in for Cameron Archer uh, for Tom Cannon if he's available on loan again because I think he's he's really really impressive he would be one signing that I think most would improve most championship clubs that's realistic they've lost a few in midfield obviously Daniel Johnson's left I don't necessarily think it's a huge blow but have they replaced them with good enough quality Will Keane comes in he's been a bit hit and miss he had a good year last season with um, Wigan in terms of the goals output considering the circumstances he was in a poor Wigan side that had plenty going off on off the pitch but I just look at the Preston team I just think it's a little bit uninspiring Calvin Ramsey will be a better fit at right wing back when he's fit than Brad Potts so that's that's more of a square peg in a square hole which is really important to Lowe's 3-5-2 system but I just don't know if there's enough up front to, to get the goals to fire them any any more than 18th. If they get Tom Cannon, for example, I think that would be a really good addition and I think that would elevate them higher up the league table for me. But for now, I don't really see how there's enough quality in the squad at this moment in time to have them any higher than 18th place at the moment, despite 
quite liking Ryan Lowe generally and stuck up for him, obviously, last season when I got a bit of stick for that. But I still think that the squad's just a bit meh. Yeah, I think I can see what you've done with that one. But um, in terms of mine, 20th to 18th place, 20th, this is one that I've actually wrote in my notes, is this laughable with a question mark after that. I've actually gone for 20th place. I've gone for Bristol City. I'm quite fearful for them this season. I've got to admit, even though, and I've put this in my notes, the last three seasons they have made gradual progress year on year. They've gone from 19th to 17th to 14th last season. This is quite brave. I, I can't lie. It could be one that seriously leaves me with egg on my face come the end of the season. It really could. Recruitment, I think, has been okay. I think Rob Dickey, Jason Knight are solid signings. I just fear that there could be teams that are better than them this season. And Nigel Pearson, on paper, still remains one of the better managers in this division. Vastly experienced manager, you know, promotions on the CV. I just question at this moment in time... Where do the goals come from? That's that's my biggest fear. Andres Weiman regressed last year. Naki Wells has, has spells in front of goal. Tommy Conway started the season in blistering fashion, then did tail off. But of course, he's a young player. He will get better with time and experience. Alex Scott is still there. Obviously, he will be essential to their plans this season if they can keep hold of him. And at the moment, there doesn't really seem to be an awful lot of movement to suggest that he will go at this minute, in t- you know, at this moment in time. There's a month left in the window. Things can change. I just... Don't feel convinced. It's just one of those, like you said at the top of this, some of these can be made with just hunches and feelings that we have. And for me, I just fear for Bristol City this coming season. I don't think they're going to sort of be in danger of falling through the trapdoor. I just fear that they could be down the bottom end of the tail because of the quality around them, sort of with the same ambitions. So this is one that I genuinely do believe could be opening me up for abuse on social media. I'm expecting it. You're yeah, you're laughing already. I know it's coming, but it's just I'm one of those hunches that I've got. That one. I'm staggered. Just I've got I've one got of those hunches. A lot higher than that, I have to say. I'm well, I, I actually really like their business. Yeah, the, the recruitment has been okay, but I don't think it's anything sort of blistering at the I minute. Agree. I think it's a brilliant signing. Things can change. We will see. But like I say, this is the one that I think could open me up to you know a lot of criticism. And if it does, it does. I'll take it. Moving on from the Robins and to their rivals, which is in 19th place, I've gone for Cardiff City. Like you have like you said in your in your reasonings a few minutes ago, the recruitment has been quite impressive for Cardiff this season. They've made significant upgrades in the positions that had to be bolstered. I think Aaron Ramsey is obviously the, the headline signing of what they've made so far. Obviously, the whole fairy tale around him coming back to the football club and obviously that what he achieved there before and went to Arsenal and obviously all them years ago and how his career has progressed since then. If they can keep him fit and get a good amount of games out of him, he should make that team tick. He'll pull the strings at this level. We know what he's capable of as a footballer. Carlin Grant, like you said, if you put an arm around him and get him firing again, that is an unbelievable loan signing for Cardiff City, I must admit. He can play up top. He can play out wide. He's fairly versatile. Callum Robinson, quite similar in a way. Those two reunited after the days at West Brom as well. And if you look at Carlin Grant's championship record, it is pretty impressive. 41 goals and 11 assists in this division. Obviously, West Brom paid big money for him a few years ago. And like you said, if you put an arm around him and get him going again, it is a really good sign. And as well as that, he's only 25. His I'm really peak surprised is still to come. higher up the league. Didn't come he's, to Carlin Grant. Well, yeah, well. I am as well. His peak is still to come. He's 25. Admittedly, turns 26 quite early into the season. The 18th of September is his birthday. 
But still, he is, you know, several years away from reaching his peak. So if they can get him going again, I think Cardiff could be, you know, in for a lot better season than they had last year. In terms of other additions, Iki Ugbo is coming on loan. Potentially could be a quite a high reward sign if they find a way of getting him going. Obviously, the French league is very different. Yaku Meite, for me, a solid squad sign. And I think for where Cardiff are, free transfer, knows the league well, vastly experienced. You'll probably get five, six, ten goals maybe out of him. It's it's more of probably of a squad player rather than a starter week in, week out. However, I think it is a really strong, strong and solid addition. And I think if you if you look at the Cardiff squad throughout, I think overall the balance of it looks quite healthy. I think it's got a good take to it in each position. They do obviously need a few more tweaks here and there and a few more signings before the end of the window. But as a starting point, as you said, Bullet has come in and it almost feels like he's going to try and take the club forward again. Instead of looking back, they've obviously had a lot of off-field issues in recent years. They flipped through managers of Steve Morrison. Mark Hudson was quite an uninspiring appointment. Sabri Lamucci came in, kept them afloat. And I actually thought they would keep him, to be fair. I thought they would keep Ola Lamucci and give him the job maybe on a full-time basis, perhaps a one-year deal, maybe something like that. But they've tried something different and it does signal the beginning of a new dawn, which I think is key for Cardiff after the last few years that they've had. So they're in 19th, 18th, moving slightly higher up the table. I've gone for Stoke City in 18th. I think they could be in for a really challenging season again. Obviously, the transfer window has significantly picked up in basically the past four or five days. They had a slow start and then there's been a flurry of new arrivals in the last few days. I think they're up to 10 new signings now. And it features quite a wide mix, what they've done, to be fair, at Stoke. They've signed a lot of experienced championship figures, one or two youngsters in there as well that are unknown quantities. Quite like the signing of Ender Stevens, though obviously he's 33 now, but I think it is a solid addition. Did very well over, over the last few years at Sheffield United. Daniel Johnson reunited with Alex Neal. If anybody knows how to get a tune out of him, it's him. Um, ben Pearson as well, he's come back, shows up that midfield, gives him the grit, did quite well on loan last season. And of course, Kejana Hoover as well, he's come back from Wolves on loan, which is a really good addition. They've got him back for the season. I must admit, I was quite surprised when I saw the news the other day that they signed Wesley from Aston Villa. He was almost a, a complete sort of... I did I'd double forgotten take. All. You did double yeah. take. Like, I don't, that Wesley? That Wesley. I, I honestly thought he'd left Villa years ago. didn't even realise he was still on their books. But, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting one, that, because... Obviously, Aston Villa signed him a few years ago with quite a big reputation overseas. He came in, it quite work out. Could it work out at a lower level, new club? Possibly, maybe. You never know. Anything can happen in this league. Who would have thought Chuba Rackpon would do what he achieved last season? So, certainly nothing's impossible. I just think for Stoke, even though Alex Neal's going to be under intense pressure this year after the last few years that that football club's had of progressing year on year, I just think there are others that are going to be better than them, better equipped. However... I think this, with the recruitment they've got, obviously it's going to take a lot to sort of mould this together and bed it in. It could be one of those where if it clicks, they could do quite well. And of course, if they stay injury-free, they have got some very good options in attack. Tyrese Campbell, Jacob Brown, the firepower on paper is there. It's just a case of how quick can Alex Neal get it to click. So we'll see what happens with Stoke. A lot of new signings to bed in, but for me, 18th place this coming season. Interesting. I've got two of those teams that you've just mentioned in the top half. So I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, oh, this is going to be fun, isn't it? I can I've see the abuse got, already. See, I've got a team now that I think people, I've seen a lot of people place higher. And this happened last season and ultimately I was vindicated because they didn't do that well. I've got Hull City in 17th and I know a lot of 
people have got them higher. And this was the case last year and they didn't do anything. And maybe this is a surprise to some people, but is the squad that good? I don't really rate the squad is my bigger problem. I like Liam Rossini. I think he's a good manager. Obviously, they improved last year. I think they finished 16th in the end, having been down there. But I, I just think they'll be down there again because I just don't think the squad is that good. Looking at the recruitment, Liam Delap could catch fire. I do think he could he could potentially be one that catches everyone out because he had a very difficult first year on loan in the championship last year, both with Stoke and then with Preston. Never really worked for either. He's clearly very talented. Manchester City rate him very highly. So he, he's not he's no mug, is he? Let's be fair. He just needs the right manager, the right system, and maybe a bit of confidence and a bit of you know, players develop at different rates, don't they? So maybe Liam Rossini could be the right person for him. But if he's not, who's going to score the goals? Obviously, Stupinan had a really good start to last season in the opening months. Didn't really do a great deal after December in the Championship goals-wise. Tufan, good sometimes. Sometimes goes missing for a month. Um... I'm just not wowed by the squad and the attacking options. Jacob Greaves is good. I think the defence is solid enough with the likes of uh, McLaughlin, with Greaves. They're, they're good championship players, Cyrus Christie. It's a solid back line. Really like Regan Slater in midfield. I do think he is probably my favourite favorite player in the, in the whole squad. I, I like the manager. I like most of the managers. I mean, that's probably going to be a theme of me talking upwards. I quite like a lot of the managers I've got in this middle pack. But I don't know if the squad is is good enough for me at the moment. I know they've spent a fair bit as well, Hull in the sort of last since Azunilajai came in, and they might carry on to do that for the rest of the window. But right now, looking at the squad, I'm just a little bit uninspired, particularly in forward areas. And for that reason, I've got Hull in 17th, 16th place. I've got Birmingham City. I could have put them higher because I like the business a lot. I like John Eustace. There's a going to be an emerging theme with the managers here going upwards. Maybe maybe I should have them a little bit higher on reflection because I do like the business. I'm not really bothered that Chong's gone. I, I think he's a good championship player. I think he's got the potential to have been a top-end championship player. But I don't think he was ever a world-beater whilst he was at Birmingham, particularly. And I think to bring you know around £4 million in for him and sign Suriki Dembele for a reported £750, grand, I like that deal from Birmingham's point of view. I think they've got the better end of that deal, personally. Um, bringing back Christian Bielik and Dion Sanderson on permanent deals like that, good business. And they've, you know, Lee Buchanan at left back, good signing. Uh, Keshi Anderson, I've always quite liked. I thought he was one of Blackpool's better players, although he, he didn't do a lot when they got in the season. They got relegated partly due to, due to injury. So I like the business. I do think they've bulked the squad up a little bit. I'm still looking for that little bit of quality at the top end of the pitch. Can they get a number nine in on loan? that really makes me sit up and go, yeah, this is a top-half Birmingham squad. This is a top-10 Birmingham squad. I'm just looking for that number nine, probably, before I get really excited. But they've got some great prospects. You know, a midfield of Bielik, um, maybe John James, maybe George Hall. I think there's good balance in there. And then you're going to have Keshi Anderson on one side, Dembele on another, potentially. It's that number nine where I'm looking at and thinking I just like a little bit more. Ethan Led's a great signing at right back. I think that, again, I'm really surprised that a team more heavily expected to challenge at the top end of the table hasn't come in for him for, what, about 750 grand, I think it was in the end. So he's a really good signing. They've upgraded, they've upgraded most areas, you know, getting Sanderson back. Both fullbacks have been upgraded. 
keeping Bielik is very good. Um, maybe another midfielder to go with Hall and Bielik would be nice. And then a number nine would be where I'm like, that. That that's the one. If the Birmingham get a number nine, I'd probably shoot them up three or four places because I like what they've done. I like John Eustace. And this is the most positive I've felt about Birmingham for about a decade in the championship. And I think that's what a lot of Birmingham City fans will be feeling. But let's not try and run before we can walk. So I've gone for 16th place. Cautious optimism is what I'm going with Birmingham. If they get the end of the window right, I think they could jump a few places. Tyler Rob, They brought in Tyler Roberts, of course, as well as a striking option. But is he a number nine? Is he more of a number 10? What's his best position? We've not really seen any consistency from him since playing under Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds when they got promoted from the championship. So 16th place, I've gone Birmingham City. 15th, I've gone for Norwich. I don't I don't know if this is a bit of a surprise to have not a Norwich City squad. We've not had Norwich City in the bottom half of the championship for a long time, but I didn't like the David Wagner appointment when they made it at the time. They had quite a meek end to the season as well. And the business has been quite uninspiring for me. You know, they brought in Jack Stacey, they brought in Shane Duffy. They brought in Ashley Barnes. These aren't very Norwich City signings. It feels like they've sort of ripped the playbook up a little bit, and I'm not sure it's in a positive way. I'm not sure if I was leading a rebuild of a squad in the way Norwich are trying to do, I'd want David Wagner doing it and Stuart Webber, who's leaving. You know, you've got a sporting director who's on his way out the door and a head coach that hasn't really done anything since he got kept Huddersfield Town in the Premier League which was, what, five years ago. So I don't feel very positive about Norwich. They've still got a few players that are waiting to leave, like Max Ahrens. They've sort of signed replacements for them already, and they've not got rid of them. So it's it's just a bit, it just feels a bit Frankenstein a little bit at the moment. It's a bit in transition. Some of the signings are quite Norwich blueprint. Some of them are very much the opposite and gone for championship experience. And I'm just not, I'm just not wowed by the squad. I'm not wowed by the additions and I'm certainly not wowed by the manager. He's probably, I I, I just don't rate David Wagner. He's not done anything for a long time. So for me, I couldn't put Norwich any higher because I don't like the business, the manager and the squad's a bit meh and they, they had a very meh um, season last year, didn't they really? So I'm, I'm going to tip them to regress even more and I've got them in 15th. Well, 17th place for me, I've matched you and I've gone with Hull City. And this was the one that I was probably the most scared about opening up to. But now you've said oh, it. I feel all right, like, we go down together. I feel a little bit more at ease now. This was the one that I was referring to when I was speaking to you on Twitter that everybody could read last night when I said there was one team that I was going to force me into hiding potentially until next May. I just do not quite understand the the hype that some people have tipped for Hull City this coming season. I've seen quite a few people back them for the playoffs. And quite frankly, I don't really understand why. Like you said, the squad, certainly in forward areas, compared to other championship teams, is certainly at no means the, the same level. Quite solid, as you said, defensively. And as I've put in my notes, I do rate Liam Rossinia. I just think that some squads are a lot better than theirs. And that is the problem. Liam Rossini, he's he's done a good job as a manager in his short time as a manager so far. Hull did, they did make progress last season under him. He did steady that ship. They did they did look a lot more solid defensively. Estupanan obviously was responsible for a lot of their goals. 
you've made a good point about Liam Delap coming in, and this feels like it could be a sort of make or break season for him, even though he's still very, very young. And there is no doubt that there is potential within his within his game. Obviously, he struggled at Stoke. He struggled at Preston. But could could a fresh start sort of going into a club at the beginning of a season rather than trading clubs midway through? be sort of what he needs to kick him on. Because Pep Guardiola, I know, is quite a fan of him. Manchester City fans do rate him quite highly. So there is obviously potential within his game for him to flourish, certainly at championship level, you would hope. So if they do manage to get a tune out of him and possibly bring one one or two more strikers in, perhaps, or maybe a, you know, a, a tricky wide player, something like that, then there is potentially room for Hull City to, to kick on and, and build on last season. However, I just think there are squads in and around this middle of the table pack that we've found very difficult to order. I just think some squads are better than theirs at this at this moment in time. That's not to say that Hull City have got a bad squad because they haven't. They have got some very good, intelligent, you know, individuals. I, I really like Ozan Tufan, for example. I thought he was really good last season. You've mentioned Regan Slater. He's quite a promising prospect. There, there are, uh, you know, quite a few good individual players within that team. It's just up front where I think that they could fall short. And as well as that, and the recruitment so far this summer has been reasonably slow. Let's be honest; they've not they've not come into this transfer window kicking and screaming, doing a load of business. Obviously, I think they've brought in three players so far: the lap, Jason Lacolio, uh, and Ruben Vinagre, who we know from the Championship previously when he was at Wolves. So, a decent mix of signings. Just for me at the moment, not quite enough. Things can obviously change. However, for many of the reasons you outlined. I just don't quite understand why a lot of people are putting Hull so so high up there. I look at their squad and it doesn't look at me and think this is a team that is genuinely capable of mounting a top six challenge. We could be proven wrong. Neither neither of us expected the likes of Sunderland or Coventry to get into the top six last year. There's always one team that comes from nowhere that you don't expect. And I'm sure it'll happen this year. There'll be that one team, maybe two teams that mount an unexpected top six charge. Hull could be one of them. But for me personally, I'm just not convinced and that's why I've got the bite you in 17th place. Moving on to 16th place, I've got Preston. Preston, obviously, are a team that are sort of the steady eddies of the championship, aren't they? They're never in too much danger, but never likely to get into the top six. They did briefly flirt with the playoffs, didn't they, towards the end of last season, but it was always going to be a, a tall order for them to get amongst all that traffic that they were part of. Tom Cannon, obviously, has gone back to Everton. That's a huge loss. Um, as you mentioned, Emil Reese as well. He's not back just yet. Goals are a big problem for them. Alvaro Fernandez is also another big loss in that team. He was on loan from Manchester United last season, did really, really well at left wing back. He was a big part of what they did last year. Preston, like a few others, have been reasonably slow in the market. Calvin Ramsey was the first one in, I think, back in June. Good loan signing potential for high reward from that coming on loan from um, Liverpool. Right wing back, as you've said, potential to get into that team and could could be one of those young breakthrough stars that we sometimes see. But you look at Preston's recruitment overall, Dwayne Holmes, experienced championship operator, but not lights one that's going to set the world alight and make a massive difference to that team, just a steady Eddie. Leighton Stewart's coming from Liverpool, complete unknown quantity. Will Keane from Wigan, one of those strikers that can either go and get you 20 goals a season or get you five. He blows hot and cold. Very, very difficult to find consistency out of him, but did reasonably well last year, so you've got to give him credit for that. I think the one that excites me most about Preston's business is the is the addition of Mads Frokar Janssen. And I hope I've pronounced that one right. Um, a Danish 23-year-old, under-21 international, former under-21 international, um, 
come in and he's almost as though, although I don't know much about him, he's one of those signings that you look at and read up on and look at his numbers and think, have they possibly unearthed a potential gem here? We've seen it, for example, last season, Zian Fleming came in at a Millwall from overseas. Nobody ever heard of him. And he quickly established himself in the Championship. Similarly, a number 10. Froko Janssen has been quite good in pre-season. By all accounts, I saw a couple of goals that he scored against Aberdeen. I think it was last weekend. Two really, really well-taken goals. Looks to have got something about him, a little bit of flair. So that could be key for Preston. They definitely need to strengthen other areas before the window's done. But I think Preston, personally, for, for me... I think it'll be another season of kind of just coasting along gently. Don't think they're going to sail into troubled waters, but I don't think they're going to be riding high, knocking on the door of the playoffs. So I think Preston, again, are going to be the steady eddies of the league. 15th place to to wrap up this mini segment from me. I've gone for Plymouth Argyle in 15th. I think they will be very comfortable in their first season back in the Championship. Obviously, it's been a long, long time since they they were in this division. I think it's 13 years since they dropped out of the Championship. Recruitment has been very, very impressive, we, we must say. For a newly promoted team, obviously came up as champions, 101 points, were absolutely superb last season, played some breathtaking football at times. Obviously, it's a big, big step up League One to Championship. However, I think though Plymouth, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, in comparison to Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday, are, are on paper, ground size, everything, they are the smallest of those three clubs. But I think they've got the potential to really thrive at this level. I really do. The the recruitment, as I say, has been eye-catching. Mumba and Whitaker were excellent last season on loan. They've got a brilliant goalkeeper in place in Michael Cooper. And I think all that's missing for them now is possibly another creative midfielder, perhaps. Certainly need to add something in a striker or two. No doubt about that. They definitely need that. And I think that's where a Premier League loan signing could come in handy. But this Plymouth side is so young, it's vibrant. They've got energy about themselves. Stephen Schumacher is a breath of fresh air. They they defied expectations last year in League One to go and win the title like they did. And I think they'll do it again this year. I really do think they'll defy expectations. They are the many people's tips to finish rock bottom, stone dead last. And I just do not see that happening. So I think for Plymouth Argyle, you know, a team that went down to League Two not all that long ago, 15th would be very, very solid. The home park form will be key. They were absolutely outstanding at home last season. I think they won something like 21 of their 23 home league games. It was a ridiculous record. Um, And that that will be key for them again. They've got to make Home Park a fortress. And I think they will. I think there's a tendency with Home Park because it takes basically every away team that long to get there. (laughs) They're kind of worn out by the time they've got there. That's the mad thing. So I think that could work to Plymouth's favour. And personally, I think they'll do okay. So I think 15th, I think any Plymouth fan, if you spoke to one, I think they'd snap your hand off at that. So for me, I think Plymouth will be very, very comfortable in the Championship, to be fair. Right. Sort of heading towards the top half of the table now. We're only 55 minutes in. <laughs> um, in 14th place, I've got Blackburn Rovers. It would have been a lot higher, but it's impossible not for me, particularly as someone obviously very close to the club, not to be concerned by the last two weeks. Um, Yondal Thomason unhappy that budgets have been changed at the last minute. There's a lot of intricacies going on with the Venkis at the moment in India and Indian new Indian law tax. And I can't, I honestly, it's been the bane of my life for the last two weeks. I really can't be bothered to go into all the depths of Indian law tax and overseas investments. But the bottom line is the budgets have changed at Blackburn Rovers at relatively short notice. They've already brought three players in. Thompson, 
three weeks ago told us after the first preseason friendly was hopeful of another three or four when I spoke to him on Friday night. No idea if they'll be able to sign anyone else. So things have really changed. Yondar Thompson is a very, very ambitious head coach. Plodding around in the middle of the championship is of no interest to him, I think it's fair to say. I don't think he's going to walk because I think if he was going to, he probably would have already. But if any club comes in for him, I think he'll be gone. And I, I think at this stage and where things are at the minute, it's impossible not to feel like that with the comments that he's made. Things could change. It's a very fluid situation in India at the moment. And if the budgets come back and things go back to what they look like they were going to be, then he could stay. And it's still a very good squad. You know, they've got a lot of good talent coming through the academy. Adam Wharton is going to have a breakthrough season, I'm sure. Well, he saw had a breakthrough year last year, but I expect him to be incredibly highly sought after by the end of this season because he is genuinely could be a... I won't, generational talent's probably very strong, but he is as good a player as Blackburn have produced in a long time. Central midfielder that can progress the ball, can turn with the ball. And he could play for England quite comfortably in the future. So he's really highly rated, but he is only 18. So you cannot expect too much too soon from him. The big problem with Blackburn's squad, which is relatively solid in most areas, is goals. And that was the problem last season. And that's why they missed out on the playoffs. They literally missed out on the playoffs by goal difference. Not signing the striker in January cost them. And they've not really... They've signed Niall Ennis, who is a good signing on a free transfer from Plymouth Argyle. But... He's not a marquee signing. Similarly, Arna Sigurdsson, a lot of um, excitement about him. He's now eight for, out for eight weeks with a groin injury. So he's not going to play until September either. It's very doom and gloom at Rovers at the moment, and understandably so, because there's so much uncertainty, so much up in the air, and it's impossible to know what this squad will look like in four weeks' time. They might get the three or four players they need, in which case I would have Rovers definitely in the top ten. If Blackburn get the three or four they need, particularly two or three in attacking areas, I think the manager is brilliant. I think genuinely one of the best managers in the championship, Yondal Thomason. I think the squad is is really good defensively. Dom Hyams, excellent. Hayden Carter had a really good end to last season and I expect to continue to flourish. Joe Rankin-Costello was one of the best fullbacks January onwards in the division. Pickering is solid. Uh, it's just in attack. They need some quality. They need a bit of sparkle. And if they can't bring that in, I think they'll be in mid-table because of the strength of the division. If things change, and they could because it's so up in the air and such a fluid situation at the moment, I think they could finish easily between 10th and 5th, really, because I think the manager is great. But without those signings, it's so light on goals because they've obviously they've lost Ben Burton Diaz, who was the main goal scorer last year. Bradley Dack, although it was Rovers' decision to let him go, still scored seven goals. They haven't got natural replacements for those in the squad right now, and that's the problem. So, and obviously, if Yondal Thompson walks, then that's going to be an even bigger issue because he's a manager that I think is elevating the squad above where it probably should have been last year. I think they overachieved to finish seventh. So I've got to have them in 14th for the moment, but they are really a club that is in a state of flux and could change for the better or for the worst in the next four weeks. We'll just have to see how that situation develops. 13th place, I've got Swansea City. I think Michael Duff is a brilliant appointment, as we spoke about a little bit last week on the podcast. Big question is, can they keep Joel Perot? Otherwise, you'd probably say goals are a bit of a worry. I, don't, I feel like I'm missing a trick, but I don't particularly rate Jerry Yates, but everyone else seems to really like him. I just think he's a little bit... I think he's very patchy. I think we saw with 
Blackpool last year, he scored a lot of goals in a short period of time and then didn't do anything for 15 matches. And I just... If, if a striker's like that, I tend to feel like the more likely the goals will dry up, then the consistency will come. He's not a young striker anymore either. I do think he's got some good attributes off the ball in terms of his pressing, in terms of his work rate that could make him a good fit for a Michael Duff team. But if Perot, Perot was to go, and with the track record of Swansea's board in the last few years, you can't say that they'll give him all that money to reinvest. So it's hard to know. And I do think the sale of him will or, or the retention of him will dictate a lot of their season. I really like Michael Duff. I can keep saying that. It's all about him for me, really, and Perot. And I think Swansea will be more consistent than they were under Russell Martin. But maybe at the moment with the current squad, the ceiling might not be as high. They might not get as many eye-catching wins or look as brilliant as they did at the best under Martin. But I don't think they'll look as shoddy and lacklustre as they did at their worst under Martin either. I think we'll see more draws. I think we'll see probably slightly less wins. And I think they'll just be a bit more solid mid-table side under Duff. So... In 13th place, I've got Swansea City. In 12th, I've got Watford. Um, I think Valerie Nismail is a good appointment, as we spoke about in depth last year, uh, last week. How long does he get? That's always the question with Watford, isn't it? The business they've done this summer is interesting for me because they've moved a lot of good players on in terms of João Pedro, Ismail Assar. They're, they're moving away from a team of individuals, which is what they had been in the Championship. They, they, they played in moments, didn't they? They were never the best most succinct team, but they did have some of the best individual players, which is what made them successful for so many years in the championship when they came down. So now it's going to be more about the coaching, more about the identity, more about the style of play. That takes time. And that is something Watford do not give manager. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to move away from that, but I think if you're, you're going to have to give it patience, you're going to have to give it time and Watford don't do that. So 12th is where I've got them and, and that they're the first team obviously for me in the top half. Yeah, for me I'm going to obviously go back to, to 14th place and it's the team you've just mentioned there, Watford in, in 14th for me. Many of the reasons you've outlined and, and the big, the first thing I've written in, in my notes is how long will Ismail last? That is the main question and who knows? Who knows how long he will last? Last year Rob Edwards I think was given 10 league games before they pulled the trigger on that. Obviously it was a very different sort of manager to what Ismail is. Ismail obviously did very well at Barnsley in his time there. It started off quite well at West Brom, then fizzled out a little bit. He, he's had a spell in Turkey since then. He's now come back to the Championship. And there's been quite a big turnover at Watford in terms of players, certainly in the last couple of weeks, really. Obviously, um, Ismail, Ismail Assar's gone. Um, Cabaselli's gone. There's been big changes recently. And then the players that they've brought in, or it's almost as though they're putting more of an experienced ageing look to the squad. Jake Livermore's come in. Tom Ince, though Tom Ince did have quite a bright season last year at Reading, to be fair to him, and he does know this league like the back of his hand. It is, a, is it the most inspiring sign for what Watford's fans will be expecting? I'm not so sure, but you will get goals out of him if he plays regularly. I think that is a guarantee. Uh, as well as that, I do... On a more positive note, I do like the addition of Jamal Lewis. I think that's a really good signing. Shrewd on loan from Newcastle. A really good left-back. And on paper, realistically, should be one of the best left-backs in this league next season. Uh, well, this mm. season, whatever you want to call it. Um, I do think that is a smart signing. But a lot, of the, a lot of the uncertainty with Watford, of course, surrounds how long will the manager get. And for that reason, I think it's hard to, to pump them too high up the ladder, to be fair to them. I think 14th from where I've put them is 
sort of reasonable for where I'd expect them to be. Obviously, Joao Pedro is a huge loss. Obviously, he went to Brighton at the very, very start of the summer. He's going to be a big, big player to replace. Reese Healy's come in, decent record out in France at Toulouse in, uh, in the last couple of years or so. Not quite sure if he's got what it takes to deliver the goods in the Championship at a consistent rate and score the goals that Watford will expect from there. You know, a main striker. But throughout throughout the squad, it is just kind of a mix match. There's there's sort of really really young players with potential, then slightly older heads. So there is a good blend to it. I'm just not sure if it's all going to come nicely together and fall into a nice neat pile that Valerini's Mel wants. So for that reason, I don't think there's a lot to be overly optimistic about Watford. Personally, things could change with further additions. However, I think middle of the road is sort of where they'll be looking at. So for that reason, I've got Watford in 14th. 13th place, I've gone for Norwich City, finishing off the bottom half. I'm not convinced about them at all this coming season. I'm really not. And it's like you said, it's very unusual that we've placed Norwich City in this position. They're so used to being one of the top end teams in this division. For many of the reasons you outlined, the recruitment has not been overly inspiring. Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes, obviously coming towards the latter stages of their careers, not quite at the end yet, but certainly moving towards them. Of course, they do add experience. That that is a key thing for Norwich. There was, you know, there's quite a few younger players in that team last year. They do bring a sense of leadership to the party, those two. Jack Stacey, I quite like that signing, to be fair. I think if you can get a tune out of him, probably one of the better right backs in this division on his day. So I think you've got to look at that with positivity. And then the guy that's coming from from Young Boys, uh, I think I pronounced this right, Fasnat. Uh, seems like quite a promising signing. The, the numbers for him at Young Boys in Switzerland last season were quite encouraging. I think He's it was more 20... of a Norwich sort of style signing. He is, it, yeah. It's quite almost jarring like... next to Shane Duffy, isn't it? It is. It's almost like the days when they when they sign the likes of Rashika and, and players like that in the past where they've looked overseas. So he is more of a Norwich City signing. And as I say, his numbers in Switzerland last year were quite quite good, actually. 21 goal contributions in all competitions. And he, potentially, he could be quite a find. You, you never know. He's another one of these foreign imports that could be a bit of a, a, bit of a gem picked up from one of these l- lower-ranking nations that could potentially be quite good. And I think the overriding factor is, even though it did fizzle out for Norwich towards the end of last season, I personally still do rate David Wagner as a manager. I think he is a good manager. I think he's got the ability to get teams playing a decent brand of football. Obviously, he did a good job at Huddersfield. But like you said, that was five years ago when he kept them in the Premier League. What has he done since then? Not an awful lot. However, he's had a full pre-season this time, whereas comparison, he came into Norwich mid-season last year. Pre-season results, I don't know how much you can read into them, have been quite encouraging. And by all accounts, Norwich fans were quite impressed by what they saw at the weekend. I think they played Olympiacos and won 2-0. And Norwich fans said it was quite a good performance. So there might be reasons for them to, you know, people who've seen Norwich in pre-season be a little bit closer to the club than we are to be a little bit more optimistic but I think 13th is probably there or thereabouts for them for, for this coming season. And in 12th place, I've got Blackburn Rovers for many of the reasons that you outlined. Off-field problems, they just threaten to impact all of the good work that Yondal Thomason's done. Completely undo it. And it is a shame because obviously we all know how last season ended that dramatic final day, that comeback at Millwall. Who knows how things would have happened with goals elsewhere or whatever. And they were so close. But this year, I just fear that there are teams that have obviously recruited a lot better than them so far this summer. They've lost Ben Brereton Diaz. They desperately need that elusive number nine that they're craving, that obviously ben, that, that Yondo Thomason wanted last season as well. So there, there are reasons, I think, for Blackburn sort of to expect a, 
a season of regressing and going backwards slightly, but it w- wouldn't be a reflection of the manager. It's still a very young squad. And to be fair, they are going to be all the better for their experience last year. But is there going to be a little bit of a hangover, perhaps, of missing out on the playoffs? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But I think 12th, with all the off-field trouble that's gone on, I think 12th is probably where you can expect this Blackburn side to be there or thereabouts. But if recruitment picks up, if there is a little bit of wriggle room in this budget situation that Yondal Thomason's encountered, who knows? But for me, I think 12th is probably a fairly respectable expectation for Blackburn this coming season. Until we get to like the top six. Right, George, venturing into the top 10 territory, in and around the playoff places. In 11th place, I've got Ipswich Town. Cautious optimism for me. Um, Sunderland showed that it can be possible in your first season to get in the playoffs, but it's a really tough lineup this year. I do think we'd all agree that it's a tougher league this year on paper than last year. Kieran McKenna's got lots of promise, very highly rated, but don't forget it is his first season at championship level. It's only his second full season as a professional manager. So I can't, I don't want to overshoot Ipswich. I think they've got the potential to do better. They've got potential to do worse as well. You know, everyone needs to acclimatise. It's an ambitious ownership group, which means they're not afraid to put their hands in the pocket. But is there that many sure bets in the squad at championship level? There's a lot of good prospects that could really surprise us. Connor Chaplin has had a good season at Barnsley. He had a bad season at Barnsley. Wes Burns hasn't really played at the level. George Hurst hasn't certainly hasn't done anything at championship level yet. Um, Nathan Broadhead showed really good signs at Sunderland. Didn't do a great deal at Wigan. So I do like the manager. I like to the squad. I think it's solid. But I think cautious optimism and a top-half finish would be a very good season for Ipswich. And I think I can understand why fans are getting excited and thinking they could get in the top six. And they absolutely could because we've seen it with Sunderland last year. They have got money where they could go and blow someone out of the water with a big money signing before the window ends. However, I just think there's a lot of acclimatisation that's going to be needed in the squad, in the management team. And I think an 11th place finish would be fantastic. And I generally, for a rule for all promoted teams... The first aim has to be get to 50 points, stay in the division. And that's what Ipswich will be trying to do, get to 50 points as quick as possible and let's kick on from there and see what we can do. That might be with 15 games to go, it might be with four games to go. We don't know exactly how everyone will acclimatise. It's a good squad, they've got some great options, but they've also not got that many sure bets where you can absolutely say he's definitely going to be hit at championship level, I think, personally. So I like the squad, I like the manager, but I think 11th is a cautious Cautiously optimistic first season back in the championship. In 10th place, my dark horse is Bristol City. I have a completely different view to you, evidently, because you put them in 20th. I think we saw a lot of good improvement at the end of last year, particularly defensively, which has been the main thing that has held Bristol City back under Nigel Pearson. I like the recruitment a lot. Rob Dickey, for me, was one of the best defenders in the championship in his first year at QPR. He had a very poor year last year. So did Senny Dieng. My general view is you don't become a poor player overnight. And I think they were playing in a poor team that was asked to play in three different, completely different styles of play. And I understand how that lack of stability could affect your performance, particularly for someone like Dickie, who is a ball-playing centre-back. He probably needs to work on his game defensively more than the in-possession stuff if he was to step up even higher, for example. So if you're being flipped around from McBeal's, you know, 
possession-heavy style versus Gareth Ainsworth, let's hit the big man and go direct. It's a big change, and I can understand why players' form would be erratic during that period. I think it's a good signing for a million pounds. I think Jason Knight's a very good signing. I think he'll give energy and legs to Bristol City in the middle of the park. He's also versatile, and we know Nigel Pearson likes to move players around, having seen uh, Mark Sykes play at right wing back at times, which he'd never really played. And I think Hayden Roberts is a really good pickup on a free from Bristol City as well. Can play as a centre back, can play as a left back, could play in a back three. It gives them versatility, these signings, and I think they've got good options. I was impressed with the improvement defensively at the back end of last season. And of course, they've still got Alex Scott. And I don't really see how they can lose that much with Alex Scott because they've rejected big money for him already. So if he does go, they'll get £25 million. Even if they only reinvest a quarter of that, a fifth of that, that's more than most championship clubs are going to spend this summer. So it gives them options to really improve and bulk out the squad. I think a midfield three of potentially, you know, Cal Naismith at the base of it, um, with Knight to the right, Alex Scott as a sort of number 10 attacking number eight in the left channel. I think that's really exciting personally. I think that's a really lovely blend of experience, of energy, of creativity. And then you've got, I think Anis Mameti could really kick on after having had a six-month adaptation period from coming from League One. I think he could have a really good year. Then you've got Vyman. I don't know what to expect from Vyman because obviously he had a brilliant season, not last year, the year before. Goals dried up a bit last year. I don't know if age is maybe meaning he's winding down a little bit. Maybe it was just a, a lean spell in front of goal. And then they've got options with Conway, with um, Naki Wells as well, who seems to be more in favour with Pearson nowadays than he was when he initially came in. And number nine, again, maybe in the loan market, would really top this off for me with Bristol City. I like the first 11. There's not a great deal of depth, although they've got good options in forward areas when you consider I've not even mentioned someone like Sam Bell, like Harry Cornick in that attacking front line as well. So they have got good options. Probably could do with a little bit more depth in certain areas. Central midfield, they've got a few players that are a bit injury prone, like Joe Williams. But... I think it's a good squad. I think they've showed enough improvements towards the end of last season to get me excited. And I like the blend of that midfield a lot. So I've got Bristol City in 10th, which is quite the uh, change from what you went for. And in ninth place, I've got Stoke City a lot higher. They're one that I actually had quite a bit lower for most of the summer. But having seen the recent business, I've moved. They're probably my biggest movers in the last week because I probably had them around where you had them. And then the business they've done, I've probably bumped them up probably three or four places, five or six places actually probably at one point. So I like Alex Neal as a manager a lot. I think he's really good. I think he's probably some the best managers Stoke have had since they came down from the championship. Although I've generally liked all the managers they've had, but they've still not worked. The business is good and getting better, you know, bringing in Ben Pearson, bringing in uh, Hoover, who did really well, Mark Travers. They're all upgrades on what they had last season, or obviously it's returning loan players who did really well during their best run of form. And then at the top end of the pitch, Wesley could either be too good for the level or he could be a massive flop. It's really hard to know. They're probably still missing some guaranteed goals in a number nine. You know, Dwight Gale is someone they probably would like to get rid of. He's, He's not really done it. I still like Jacob Brown as a number nine, but it appears, you know, Alex Neal's not really giving him a go in that area. He's either played off the off the wings or he's even played at right wing back at times, which I don't think is his best position. Tyrese Campbell was showing signs of getting back to his best, but probably still not quite got to the consistency levels he did before he did that serious knee injury. But I like the squad. 
I'm intrigued by the attacking additions and, and whether they can add that bit of sparkle, that bit of quality. And I think there's still more to come. I think Michael Rose is a good signing at centre-half. I just, I like the business. Ender Stevens is is solid. Um, and yeah, the business for me in the last sort of week to 10 days is what's bumped them up from 15th, 16th, 14th, 13th, etc. to 9th to in the table. I think they'll just be short based on what they've got right now. But I think they'll be in and around the playoff picture. So for me, Stoke City in 9th. Yeah, I mean, to start my top half of the ladder, I've gone in 11th place. I've gone for Birmingham City, which is slightly higher than you've placed them. The recruitment's probably been among some of the best we've seen in the division so far this summer. It's been very, very impressive what Birmingham have achieved. And I think after all the turmoil that that club has gone through in recent years, that the fans have deserved this. They've got something to excite them. They've got something to energise them ahead of the, you know, the first ball being kicked this coming weekend. Obviously, the, the new ownership's gone through. Tom Fagner's come in, taken over, and the signings have followed. They've been, and, and what I like about these signings is, so far, they've all been permanent additions. They've not even dipped into the loan market yet. They've obviously still got those loan spots available to, to use up, probably once Premier League squads begin to begin to announce what, what they've done. I think Birmingham in total, I think they've drafted in eight new faces, I believe, so far. It's nine if you include the, the renewal, uh, the contract of Kevin Long. I really think that Birmingham have done some really smart and shrewd business and most of the players that they've brought in are of a good age with room for growth and potential as well. Really, really pleasing, I think, for them to get Dion Sanderson back from Wolves. Thought he was really, really good last year and has got potential to grow. Ethan Laird, he's done quite well over his last couple of loan spells. Well, I say the last couple. In fact, he's, he's stint at Bournemouth in between the loans at QPR and Swansea was absolutely disastrous, but that was because of injuries, not because of performances. So I think Ethan Laird, a permanent move for him from Manchester United, has got the ability to really kick him on, kick him on, and find him a permanent home. Sariki Dembele, I'm particularly drawn to this one. I really, really like what I saw from him when he was at Peterborough United. I thought he was a really tricky operator. Certainly got the potential to flourish at, at a higher level. Certainly in the in the EFL, shall we say? Didn't quite work out for him at Bournemouth. And this move to Birmingham gives him the chance to really kick on and establish his career again and make a permanent home for himself for a bit of a disaster at Bournemouth, really. And then the the other one that intrigues me is the addition of Miyoshi, who's come in from, from the Belgian League. And similarly to a couple of others that I've mentioned in this podcast, could potentially be quite a find. You never know. There's a lot of these players that come in from the likes of the Belgian League, the Swiss League, the Dutch League, can be unknown quantities, but can be real finds and like I said earlier on, we saw it with Jan Fleming, who came from the Netherlands, didn't we, last year? He was, he was just absolutely terrific. So there's no reason why Miyoshi couldn't be just as influential on this Birmingham team. So really encouraging recruitment. I think John Eustace, in the, in, the, in the landscape of what happened at Birmingham behind the scenes last year, did a really good job. I think he really defied expectations. They had some quite eye-catching results at times. And obviously, it was a running joke on this podcast, wasn't it, last season, that Birmingham seemed to be on Sky nearly every Friday night. So it was probably one of the championship teams that I saw the most of last season, to be fair. And they did play some really nice football at times. But as you said, what's missing from that team is a striker. Two, probably two younger strikers. Scott Hogan, Lukas Jukovic have been very, very good in recent years. Jukovic has been an excellent servant to that football club. But they do need freshness in those areas now. They do need to kick it on. And that would probably complete the rebuild of this team, the way it's been sort of moulded together because they've, they've strengthened right back with, with Ethan Laird. They've strengthened left back with Buchanan. Billick in midfield. Dembele out wide. 
uh, Keshi Anderson out wide as well. You know, they've, they've strengthened in a majority of the areas. It's just up front where they need something. And Tyler Roberts, if he can get back to something close to his best from the number 10 position, he can pull the strings and make things happen. So I think Birmingham have got the potential to, to break into that top half. And 11th, I've seen a few Birmingham fans thinking that they could push for the playoffs. Certainly not impossible. Anything can happen in the championship, as we've seen. But I think 11th place, as I've predicted them, would be a massive, massive step of progress compared to what they've been through in recent years. So I think that'd be really good for them. And now moving into the top 10, in 10th place, I've gone for Swansea City. Obviously, it marks the beginning of a new dawn for them, as it does for several other clubs this season. Michael Duff, as you said, as we both said on last week's podcast, really good appointment, did a terrific job at Barnsley, did a great job at Cheltenham before that, has earned a crack at managing the championship for the first time. He's inherited a, a solid group of players. Recruitment's been reasonably slow. There hasn't been a flurry of new signings. He's been progressive and steady. Jerry Yates... My opinion on him is different to you. I think it's quite a good sign. I think it's solid. I think he will get goals in that team. But of course, a lot of Swansea's hopes will rest on keeping Joel Perrault. There's, there's no denying that. He's been fabulous the last couple of seasons. I think, what is it, over 40 goals combined in the last two seasons. So keeping him is going to be very, very important. However, I think with Swansea, they've got the potential to to maybe push even higher with, with a few more signings should Perrault stay. I think they couldn't maybe knock on the door of the top six because I think Michael Duff... In a, in a similar sort of way to Russell Martin, he's quite keen on having the ball. He's very big on energy, key in the press, as we saw at Barnsley last season. So I think he'll be a really good fit for them. And I think Swansea, a top 10 finish, though they did push the playoffs close at the end of last season, they did knock on the door briefly. I think 10th for a new manager and a bit of a new dawn would spell a good season. So uh, Swansea City in 10th place for me. Um, have you done your ninth place? I have. Well, I'll do mine as well then. In ninth, I've gone for Ipswich Town. Um, many of the reasons you said, I think a lot of people expect Ipswich to break into the top six. I've seen a lot of Ipswich fans sort of saying we're guaranteed top six. Don't necessarily agree with that. I think the big thing for Ipswich to recognise is as good as they were last season, they did play some very, very good football at times. And let's not forget, they they competed quite well with Burnley in two FA Cup games. They pushed them all the way. They battered Rotherham in the FA Cup. But the, obviously the big difference for, for Ipswich this season is they're not, with no disrespect, they're not playing the likes of Exeter and Morecambe every single week anymore. They're not going to be going into games as overwhelming favourites to put four or five past every single team. They are, though, a very solid team in in the sense that they've got a, you know a sort of a good core of players to build a good squad around. I really like the fact that in midfield you've got Sam Morsey experienced at this level, Massimo Luongo if he can keep him fit, is experienced at this level. Leif Davis at left back, really exciting player, was so important for them. And then, of course, you've got the likes of Connor Chaplin, Wes Burns, who were so, so good last season. I, I do think they need the Mitesuch section. I like the signing of Jack Taylor a lot as well. Yes, he, he will shore up that midfield really well. He was probably Peter's standout player last season in that midfield role. Really good signing. But where he gets into that team is quite hard to predict because they've got a lot of midfield options, Ipswich, to be fair to them. And I think. Personally, I think if you looked at the weakest area of Ipswich, I think I would argue they maybe need another centre-half. I think they do need to shore up that area of the team a little bit. Harry Clark, he, he was kind of converted into a right-back when he went there, did very, very well. But then at the other end of the pitch, Nathan Broadhead, we, we saw flashes of what he could do at this level last season with Wigan, then dropped into League One. But a, a lot of Championship fans might not realise that he was, he was deployed as a left-winger for Ipswich last season, opposed to a number nine. He was so good out on the left-hand side and... I'd expect him to retain his place there. George Hurst, have obviously brought him back, done quite well in pre-season. 
He'll be looking to kick on and really establish himself as a championship striker for the first time. So there is a lot to like about that team. But I think for Ipswich, the big thing is they are going to be playing a better calibre of opposition every single week than they were last year. They're no longer the, the biggest club in their respective division. They are going to be up against better teams than them. Having said that, though, a top 10 finish in your first season back in the championship would be a tremendous achievement. It really would. But like you said, top six, it's not impossible. We saw Sunderland do it last season. And you'd argue possibly that Ipswich have got a better base to work with than what Sunderland had. But the league is obviously a lot more fierce this time than it was last year. And as for Kieran McKenna, like you said, really promising manager, very highly regarded when he was at Manchester United. Um, obviously, it was his first full season as a manager last season, got a promotion on the CB nice and early. And he'll be looking to prove himself at this level. So for me, Ipswich 9th, I think that would be a really successful campaign. But playoffs, certainly not impossible with maybe one or two more sort of statement signings, I think. I think we've got sort of the same eight teams left. I'm trying, I don't think yeah. there's anyone in my no, top I eight don't. that you've mentioned yet. So we've got the same no, sort I of don't top think eight. This is interesting. This There's not been too massive difference of opinion, except for just one or two. Bristol City being the quite main one. <laughs> and Stoke as well. It's been yeah. quite, um, uh, it's been a lot closer than usual, shall we say. In eighth place, I've got West Bromwich Albion. Um, financial issues are the biggest problem with West Brom. They've obviously had to sell Dar O'Shea at the time of recording. Um, Alex Palmer looks like he's leaving as well and going to Luton Town for about £2.5 million. That leaves them without a, a goalkeeper, really, because Josh Griffiths is untested at championship level, although he played a couple of games when Palmer was injured last year. I think the manager's a really good one. I think Carl Corbrand's a top six manager. I really like what he did. He clearly improved West Brom last season. But they've not been able to really do much in the transfer window, bring any players in. They've lost O'Shea and Palmer from their best eleven, So they really need the likes of Wallace and Swift to kick on and really show why they're top-end championship players. They need Daryl DK to try and stay fit when he's available again. It's a good squad. It's just lacking a little bit of depth probably now and a little bit of freshness because they've had to trim it. They've trimmed the fat in some areas, you know, getting rid of like a Livermore, for example, letting him go is not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. I think bringing Mowat back, I like Mowat. I think he's good enough to play in that midfield. And I think he's quite a good fit for Corbrand's team. It, it's funny how someone like Alex Mowat can get bombed out by Bruce and sent on loan to Middlesbrough. And I actually think he probably will start most games for West Brom under Corbrand, because I think he's a good fit. So I like bits of the squad. I think the first 11 is good enough to be in and around the playoffs. It's how bad are the injuries because they haven't got that depth. You'd, I looked at their bench from their friendly yesterday. Um, I forgot who they played, but they played a friendly yesterday and the bench just really, really young, lots of youngsters, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but when you're predicting a team to definitely be in and there and abouts, I don't think they've quite got that depth and they obviously could lose more players because they need to sell for financial reasons with the off-field problems with the owner, which have been well-documented. So I've got West Brom in eighth. In seventh, just missing out on the playoffs, and we'll go up to the playoff places, Joy, so you do eighth and seventh as well. I've gone for Millwall. It's been more about retention than additions for them. They've obviously kept Zian Fleming, which is the big one, having rejected three or four bids from Burnley. Um, they've managed to keep the core of the squad together. They've added a few players as well, like Kevin Nisbet, who's someone that they looked at in January, who could add that little bit more quality. Um, and they've, they've trimmed in a few areas as well. So they came so close. Well, they should have got in the playoffs, shouldn't they? It wasn't for, if it wasn't for a last-day collapse against Blackburn, which was an amazing... Like Obviously, I was at that game. For the way the atmosphere was, to be 3-1 up, Rovers on the canvas, 
to throw that away. And, and that that was a bottle. They bottled that. Yeah, I don't like using that word too much, but they did bottle that. That was the closest they'd come under Gary Rowett. It was the best squad they had, I felt, in terms of depth since Rowett had been at the club. And I've said that a few times on last year's podcasts. And I feel like they've kept the group of the core of that together. They've added um, a few players in different areas. Nisbet up front. They've added um, a holding midfielder from abroad, which I forgot the name of briefly, um, who will give them another option alongside Billy Mitchell in midfield. Obviously, some of the loanees have gone back. Joe Bryan will come in at left back instead of um, Callum Styles or Scott Malone or Murray Wallace, whoever they wanted to play there. And I think the squad is very similar, and I don't think that's a bad thing for Millwall because keeping Fleming's really important. He is, you know, their bit of star quality that that they brought in, and I think that Millwall again will have a good year and they'll be there or thereabouts. But I think they'll just about miss out based on the teams that I've got above them. So West Brom in eighth, Millwall in seventh, just outside my top six. Yeah, I can match you with one of those, and I've got West Bromwich Albion in eighth as well. I did mess around with West Brom quite a bit. I first had them a little bit lower, then I took them a bit higher, then I saw, thought I saw maybe just in between where I'd got them and eighth was where I finally settled and I actually put in my notes, they could get in the playoffs or could end up finishing 15th. It's quite a hard one to gauge because obviously yeah. recruitment's been... Have, it is. And I really forecast that. That's the thing and it's like I said, recruitment's been difficult because of the financial restraints. It's not as if they've just sort of looked at the window and thought we don't need anything. They do need signs, but obviously finances have, have obviously limited what they've been able to do. I think the big, the biggest worry for West Brom that could stop them getting in the playoffs is obviously again, as we've said quite a lot in the last, you know, in the last hour and a half, give or take. The squad could change between now and the end of the window. But I look at their current forward options. Darrell DK obviously is sidelined still with another serious injury. It leaves just Brandon Thomas Asante as their only recognisable striker. And though he did quite well last season, it must be said, he did improve quite at a rapid rate of knots. I think they need more. They need a more experienced head that they can rely on to score the goals in that team. And I think personally, would West Brom, if they could do it, somebody maybe like a Tom Cannon to go in there and lead that line. I think that'd be quite a good fit. He would be somebody that West Brom could look at and possibly develop and take to the next level. So, you know, maybe that's one they could try and do if they're they're looking at him. But the squad is, is experienced. It is a very experienced team packed to the rafters with championship talent, established championship talent. I do think it needs an injection of freshness in places. I think it just the squad just needs just lowering in average age a tad, but nothing too extreme. I do think the base of something is there for Corbran to work. Then let's not forget, West Brom did go into the final day of last season still in with an out, an outside bet of getting in the playoffs. They were very close last season. Corbran really turned things around after a disastrous start under Steve Bruce. So I think West Brom will be there or thereabouts. But I just think others might just be slightly more talented to sneak in ahead of them. So that's why I've got West Brom in eighth. But if they maybe get that extra striker in, and if DK can rediscover some form once he's back from his injury, then they could look to push on. But Corbran, I think, is a very capable manager to take that team forward. Is he At the end of the day, last season, they did make tremendous strides in a very short space of time under him. And after a full pre-season, it should only get better. In seventh place, and this is one that I ummed and about for ages and I fear it potentially could come back to bite me come the end of the season and missing out on the top six this time around. I've gone for Middlesbrough. Ooh. It's Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one, this, because I thought about this, probably one of the ones that I looked at the most long and hardest and debated. And I looked at it and I thought, Michael Carrick came in, obviously last October, I think it was, and the transformation was just absolutely staggering. They played some wonderful football at times. They were a joy to watch. 
And obviously, they just kind of fell asleep towards the last little bit of the season, the playoffs. They, they didn't really get going in either leg against Coventry City and they fell short. The reason why I fear for Middlesbrough is in the sense that they're going to just miss out maybe on the top six this time around is, again, though things can change on the recruitment and people listening to this are probably thinking, well, they stop saying that, but it is true. When you look at what they've lost in terms of lone players over the summer, Cameron Archer, Aaron Ramsey, Ryan Giles, they contributed between them to 34 league goals last season. That is a big percentage of their overall attacking output that's been lost. Of course, it can be replaced. A couple more additions could simply change that. However, Middlesbrough's recruitment this summer has been quite interesting, I think is probably the word. It's been quite sort of interesting in the sense that they've got business done nice and early. They've brought in a good amount of new additions, but the range of players they've brought in is quite interesting. In the fact that they've turned to, you know, experienced championship players in, in sort of Seni Dieng and Morgan Rogers. Then they've gone slightly out of the out of the usual sort of out of the window of what most championship clubs have done in terms of signing a couple of players from Australia in Tom Glover and Sam Silvera, who have come in from Melbourne City and Central Coast Marinas, respectively. I don't know either, anything about either player, so I think it's fair to say that Glover's a goalkeeper, likely to be back up to Dieng. Alex Gilbert's coming from Brentford B. And he's another one that potentially could be a hidden gem that we, we could see very good rewards from. I just think as things currently stand at the moment, and again, things can change, I don't think that squad is as good as what it was last season at the minute. Things can change. Pereo's come back. He could be a player that if they get something out of, he could be like a new signing. He could be a really, really talented player at this level. Chubrakpum, of course, he's going to be looking to kick on from last season. There's going to be enormous pressure on his shoulders. And I do fear, potentially, he could be a one-season wonder. That is my biggest fear for Chubrak because he'd never really done anything until last season. And then he just went on this extraordinary fairy tale journey, which was, it was exceptional, to be fair. It was, it was an amazing thing to watch. But I'm not convinced he's going to be able to replicate similar numbers again. And like I said, the losses of Archer, Giles, Ramsey as well, three big, big players who contributed massively to that team. So for that reason, though Middlesbrough, of course, they could potentially still sign Cameron Archer on loan. Who knows what's going to happen with his future? They could bring one or two others in that are quite sort of high-profile Premier League loanees. Michael Carrick, great manager. I do like him. I like the way he got Middlesbrough playing. However, I look at that squad currently at the moment and I don't think it looks as good as what he did last year. So for that reason, I think Borough just missed out on the playoffs and I'm going for them in seventh place. That's really interesting. I can understand your logic. I don't necessarily agree, but I can see where that's come from. It's all um, a matter of opinions, isn't it? Indeed, we'll go one by one as we did with the sort of bottom of the with the yep. bottom of the table for our top six. In sixth place, I've got Coventry City. Um, Mark Robbins is a fantastic manager. Do I think he's probably the best manager in the championship? Probably. He's certainly in the top two or three. If I don't think he's the best. Um, they've obviously lost Victor Giocares, which is the, the big headline concern. But I think they've reinvested that money pretty well. They brought in Ellie Sims as their marquee addition, who looked really bright in spells with um, with Sunderland on loan last season. Didn't do a great deal for Everton in the Premier League, but didn't, it wasn't a great environment, was it? He got very much chucked in the deep end. He scored a very good goal against Chelsea. And I think he's the sort of the player that Robbins can work with. If we remember when Giocares came into Coventry, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. He'd had a half decent loan, came in for a loan fee from uh, a low fee 
from Swansea. And Robbins did really well to help develop his game. I think Sims has got a lot of raw attributes that could be really well moulded into a, a modern-day number nine. So, yes, I would say Ellie Sims is not at the level of Gokka's right now, but they're going to have Callum O'Hare coming back. What level is he going to be at? We're going to have to be patient with him, of course. They've got um, more that they've sort of like bulked out. I feel like they've bulked out the squad a lot more than they had last season. I felt with Coventry last year, they got a really good starting eleven, but when the injuries came in, they didn't have that depth. They've used that money and they've they've really added a bit of depth in there. And of course, the big one is they've still got Gustavo Harmer, who is the big player for them. Now, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I felt they had to cash in on either Gokarez or Harmer with both players having one year left on that deal. They've done that with Gokarez. I think they're probably willing to maybe take the risk and gamble on promotion and hope that he stays and signs a new contract if they go up. I don't think he's going to sign a new deal unless they go up. So it's up to them whether the big money bids come in and they get tempted and they sell him. I think it would be a big gamble to sell both players, but they had to sell one because you can't afford to let £30-35 million worth of talent leave Coventry City for free. So they've not done that. They've got the balance right. And I think Mark Robbins is a brilliant manager. They've bulked out the squad in terms of depth a lot more with some of the signings. Uh, Luke McNally obviously went back, but they've replaced him with uh, Bobby Thomas, who did very well on loan at Barnsley. That seems like a good signing. Still looking to see what they do in terms of that left centre-back role with Callum Doyle obviously going back and then going to Leicester City. So... I like the squad. I think they've they've done good work. Really like Mark Robbins. I think Sims is not probably at Gokarez's level yet, but I think it's as good a signing as they could have made, really, to replace him. Hopefully, Callum O'Hare will come back in some sort of form and can be a big contributor alongside a Godden. And I'm excited to see how this Coventry City progresses under Mark Robbins. So I've got them in sixth place. Sixth place for me is a team that joined them in the playoffs last year. I've gone for Sunderland. I think there's going to be very big expectation on them this coming season, a bit like Coventry with what they achieved last season. Sunderland, personally, I look at them and I think the recruitment's been quite smart. They were quite quick out of the traps in getting a lot of their business done very early doors. And the recruitment kind of kind of fits the mould of what they've been doing in recent years and the way that Tony Mowbray is a manager in the sense that he's got that ability to nurture young talent and take it to the next level. We saw it. At Blackburn, for example, with the way he had a big hand in Harvey Elliott's development, we saw last season with the development of uh, of Ahmad on loan at Sunderland. So I think it's got potential for for it to do the same. The the probably the headline addition has probably been the one on a free transfer so far in Bradley Dack, which we know him and Tony Mowbray is a match made in heaven. If they can keep him fit and they can get a tune out of him, Tony Mowbray knows exactly what he'll bring to that team in, in the centre attacking midfield position. I look at what else they've done. Joe Bellingham's obviously coming from Birmingham City. Bit of a signing for the future. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of focus on him because of what his brother's achieved in recent years. But potentially, it could be a really smart addition. Luis Semedo, who's coming from Benfica, um, heard quite good things about him. He looks quite a, an exciting young player. A lot of speed about him, a lot of trickery. So there's going to be a bit of pressure on him to lead that Sunderland line because he's only 19 years of age. But Sunderland have clearly seen something in him to, to bring him to the football club five-year deal. So they've done that in that sense, bringing in the young players. And then at the same time, you look at what else they've done in the sense of what they've been able to so far retain. They've kept hold of Jack Clark for now. He's still there. He was a massive part of what they achieved last season. I know Ahmad obviously took a bulk of the plaudits, but Jack Clark was just as influential in, in that team. And then you look at what else they achieved. 
to, to be fair, you know, they've, they've kept hold of Patrick Roberts so far. He's still there. And they've got really good players in other areas. You look at the back, like the likes of Denis Serkin was really, really good last season. Luke O'Neill is obviously an excellent all-rounder. Alex Pritchard, he's got a trick up his sleeve. And then, of course, the big one, if they can get him back fit and get him firing, Ross Stewart is still there. He's the main one. You know, he his numbers last season for how gut-wrenching a campaign it was for him were absolutely just off the scale, Ross Stewart's numbers last season. I think it was something like 10 goals in 14 league games with three assists as well. It was It was a remarkable return. So it proves if you can keep him fit, Sunderland have got a goal scorer. They've got good options out wide if they stay in Roberts and Clark. They've got a good spine. They've got a very good goalkeeper, Anthony Patterson, who's only going to get better and better. And personally, obviously the size of the football club, the fans have played a big role in, in this Sunderland team. And after what they achieved last season, is it unrealistic to expect them to mount another top six charge? I certainly don't. I think they've got the quality within them. I think there's obviously going to be a, a difference compared to last season where they've got to got to handle a little bit more expectation that wasn't necessarily there last year as a newly promoted team. They did defy expectations. But what I like about Sunderland is if it doesn't work out this coming season and they say they finish eighth or ninth or something, fall just short. They've got the growth. They've got the youth there to build on it and build and implement this long-term structure. And I think Tony Mowbray is the perfect manager to spearhead it. You've mentioned Mark Robbins there as being the best manager in the league. I certainly, certainly agree with that in terms of what he's had to put up with. But I think Tony Mowbray is one of the best. He's vastly experienced, did a terrific job last year. And I think the squad at the minute, obviously Ahmad is a huge loss. It's, it's going to be, take something special to replace him. But I think the squad starts this season in a much better position than what it started the previous campaign. I've got Sunderland in fifth. So not, not that much different on what you said. Obviously, they've lost Ahmad. They get Ross Stewart fit again. He was minutes, you know, in terms of goals per minute, he was one of the best performing strikers in the championship last season. I was really impressed with how he played when he was fit, stepping up. Really unlucky with two bad injuries. Fingers crossed he can stay fit um, going forward. I think Bradley Dax a really good addition. I don't think he's going to be a... He's not going to play 90 minutes for 46 games anymore. That's not where he's at. But he can probably start 20, 25 games. And he can be an impact off the bench. He loves playing off a big striker like a Ross Stewart. He was at his best at Blackburn playing behind Danny Graham. That's where he scored so many goals. And I think he's a really smart addition. Tony Mowbray worked with him, obviously, at Rovers and got the best out of him. Smart signing, good squad addition. I think he will make an impact and win them points. And that's what you've got to try and pick up on free transfers in the market as well. Keep Dan Ballard fit. Keep Danny Bart fit. That's going to be really important. Obviously, Bart was their player of the year. Ballard, really good signing, but had injuries at, at poor times. They've still got Jack Clark. They've still got Patrick Roberts. Sirkin's still there. Patterson's still there. Luco Nine can fill in at centre half or at right back. Can fill in anywhere, that guy. He can play anywhere. <laughs> he could put go him in goal and he'd probably play. He was assistant manager for a game. The squad looks strong to me. Probably a nut again. You're looking, can they sign another striker in case Stuart gets injured? That's probably but, where I'm looking for. Having said that, they, they have brought in a couple of strikers, haven't they? But, you they know, have. unknown quantities, Luis mm-hmm. Semedo and Eliza Mayender, who came in uh, on Friday, I think, from Shockhawks in France. So I just think Sunderland, like you said there, they're kind of, they've got a base to work with in every area of the pitch. And I think when you look at what they did last year with the amount of injuries they had to have achieved yeah. what they did with exceptional, so if they can, if they can stay injury free and build on that, there's no reason why they shouldn't. Obviously, they've lost the flair player in, Amar, in Ahmad. But Jack Clark, I mean, Amar. what a season he had for me. Amard, I was very posh there. I think <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack Clark's numbers 
went massively under the radar in comparison to what Ahmad did. Not and to Burnley, from... didn't Even they've bid well, about clearly, not to Burnley. They've, they've put a couple of bids in, haven't they? They've had a good go so far. But as we record this, Jack Clark is still a Sunderland player. He's still there. For me, like yourself, I think playoffs is certainly uh, within reach. So that I think leads so. me yeah, to fifth place, doesn't it? Yep. My fifth place. And I've gone for Millwall in fifth place. Is this the year that they finally bridge the gap? I think that's the question. They were obviously so close last year. Obviously, that dramatic final day that you mentioned a few minutes ago, we went into that. The squad hasn't really changed awfully a lot in terms of departures. I think the, probably, the, probably the standout departure is probably Charlie Cresswell's lone finishing and going back to Leeds. That's a big play they've got to replace in the heart of that defence alongside Jay Cooper. But having said that, I think the recruitment, though it's not sort of been you know a, a massive flurry of players coming through the door, they've not been signing like six, seven, eight, nine players. I think the recruitment that they've done so far has been quite steady and quite sensible. I think Joe Bryan on a free, that's got the potential to be a really good addition. I think most championship clubs would have accepted him on a free transfer. So for Millwall to have got that done, that's steady and solid. And then Kevin Nisbet's obviously coming from Hibernian, not the best strike record in Scotland. Could he could he make the step up? Obviously, we've, we've seen players come down from Scotland in the past that haven't quite made the cut where others have, like Ross Stewart, for instance. So, jury probably remains out on him as we recall this. It'd be interesting to see how he gets on. But away from those new additions, you look at the players that Millwall have retained from last season. They've still got the likes of George Honeyman. They've still got Zian Fleming. Tom Bradshaw will probably get you 10, 15 goals again. They have got quality across that picture with solid championship players. And you always know with Millwall, they're likely to be there or thereabouts. And I know it's a you know it's a cliche, but then it is a hard place to go. Teams do struggle there. They do make that a, a really intimidating place to visit. And then you look around the rest of the squad, the likes of Danny McNamara, Jake Cooper, Sean Hutchinson. It's just a steady, solid team that should be in contention and pushing for the top six. So personally, I think Millwall can do it. I think they do still need a few more bodies. I think certainly they need maybe a flair player or two just to jazz things up, maybe a little bit of pace in wide areas and things like that. But that overall, yeah, I suppose it does in that in that respect. But Hopefully I think if they're going to go back four, they, back three. They need some. They need some pace in there. They just need an injection, a little bit of energy that are maybe just going to you know sort of players that are going to get bums off seats. At the minute, it looks very solid, just lacking maybe a little bit more of a spark. Though Fleming can obviously provide that as we saw last season. So I think Millwall will be there or thereabouts. And for me, I think they've got it in them to, to finally, finally get in that top six. And for that reason, I'm putting them in fifth. Fourth place, I've gone for Leeds United. They are playing catch-up on the rest of the promoted sides, undoubtedly. Daniel Fark has not had a great season since he led Norwich to the championship title. Obviously, didn't have a great year with Borussia Mönchengladbach last year in Germany. Got obviously sacked by Norwich the year before. Uh, once they were up in the Premier League. They've not done anything in terms of incomings at the moment, apart from Ethan Ampadu, who's a good signing, and Carl Darlow, who signed to go in goal. But they've still got Ilan Melier, so it'll be interesting to see how that one works its way out. Obviously, they're expecting him to leave. I like Darlow. I like Ampadu from what I've seen when he's played on loan at various clubs, Sheffield United and various other loans that he's had throughout his career. He needs probably a, a base somewhere to settle down. Still think they need some. It's just I don't know who's going to stay and who's going to go. I've, I felt like this with Watford a couple of years ago when they came down and they had and they ended up going straight back up. But they had Dennis Pedro. In fact, no, this was last year actually when they had Dennis Pedro. You didn't saw so you didn't know who was going to stay, and I'm, they've already got rid of quite a few. 
But in the wide areas, you know, they've still got Harrison. They've still got Willie Nonto, who had a really good breakthrough year. Still got Somerville. Still got Sinistera. All four of those aren't going to stay. But I don't know which combination. Maybe two go, two stay. And that will be important. Bamford, he's been hit and miss. He obviously had that great season in the Premier League. Then he had a really injury hit year. Didn't do a great deal last year. Do they need another striker? Probably. They've got someone like Gelhard coming back in. They've got Charlie Cresswell, who I would expect to be starting alongside maybe Liam Cooper. The The weird thing with Leeds is they've let a lot of players go on loan. They've not recouped the money that a Leicester have or a Southampton could if they sold Adams or Teller. They've let them go on loan, like Robin Cock, like Christensen that we spoke about on the podcast last, year, uh, last week. Um, Rocker as well. Rodrigo went for small money to Saudi Arabia. So... They're very ambitious, the 49ers that have obviously taken over um, at Leeds from Andrea Radrizani. But they are playing catch-up on everyone else and it might take a little bit of time to mould this squad so they might not get off to the best start. Daniel Farker, I, I, I aired my reservations. Again, that's a bit more of a gut feeling than anything. So I just, I think, I, I think it would be bold to say they won't be in the top six and I'm not strong enough to say that. But I do think they will be slightly behind the rest in terms of finishing in the automatic promotion places. So I've got Leeds United in fourth. I can say snap on that one as well. I've also got Leeds in fourth. And this was one of the, probably the earliest predictions that I jotted down on my one to 24s of Leeds to come in fourth. I was quite settled on this one for quite a while. Like you, for many of the reasons you've outlined, they are playing catch up on on some of their supposed direct rivals in, in pursuing automatic promotion this year. And that will be the expectation. Daniel Fark has obviously been brought in because of his experience of getting out of this league automatically, there will be that expectation. The, the Leeds fans will expect that after a pretty disastrous campaign last year. It, it really was torrid at that football club with the way things ended. Obviously, going from Jesse Marsh, <laughs> then obviously his, um, um, Garcia came in, who was the former Watford boss. And then we ended up with um, Sam Allardyce for the final four games, which obviously didn't quite work out. So, really, really problematic for Leeds United in the way last season went. But there are reasons to be optimistic with the appointment of, of Daniel Farker. He's done it with Norwich. The recruitment so far, as you said, has been slow. Cardalo and Ethan Ampadu, the only two new arrivals so far for the first team squad. There's been a couple of in additions to the to the youth ranks that um, obviously aren't going to be part of his plans this season. Darlow, very good goalkeeper, probably one of the one of the best championship keepers I think I've seen in, in my lifetime. I really, really rate him. I think he's a fabulous goalkeeper and certainly one that leads, I think, I've got bang on the money with reported fee of £400,000. I think it's an absolute snip, to be honest with you. Ethan Ampadu, room for growth with him. Really, really talented player. Will get better with age. So, again, another good signing. As like you said, a lot of players have left on loan. They do need to strengthen certain areas of the team, certainly midfield. They really look light in the centre of midfield. They've got a lot of work to do there for me. They need some ball-playing expertise in there and maybe a little bit of bite. Up front, definitely need another striker. But then there's obviously question marks about the wide players. Jack Harrison's still there. Willie Nonto's still there. Are they going to stay? Are they going to go? If they stay, that automatically boosts Leeds' hopes. If they go, they're probably going to command quite healthy fees that they should look to reinvest in, building a team capable of mounting a promotion charge. So Leeds, though they're lagging behind currently, there are reasons to be optimistic for them. Farker, good manager, knows the league well. And for me, I think Leeds should be there or thereabouts. So I think fourth at this stage is probably a fair place to put them. But... At the same time, I do genuinely think with Leeds, they could go either way. They genuinely, I could see them winning the league 
or finishing something like 12th. I think there is that ability. So I think fourth at the minute is a benchmark, sort of middle of the road playoffs. I think Lee should be targeting that at the very, very least. In third place, George, I've gone for Southampton. Just missing out on the top two. It's a very strong base of a squad for Russell Martin to come into. And that's before they've even sold the likes of James Ward-Prowse and Romeo Lavia, which I still expect to go. I just can't see a world where James Ward-Prowse is playing in the Championship a year before the European Championships, which I, you know, I wouldn't put James Ward-Prowse in England's European Championship, but he will have ambitions to do that. And he's been in and around the squad. So that's going to be a big part for him. They've got a front three, which could be as good as anything we've seen at this level in Teller. Adams and Armstrong, that that could equal goals, undoubtedly. The big question is, is how quickly can Russell Martin get his style across on these players? I like the, the, I'm not sure what the centre-halves are going to look like. They're still doing a bit of moving around with Selisu going. Lianko's on his way by the looks of it as well. Bazunu had a pretty poor year last year in the Premier League. It was a big step up from League One to the Premier League, but I think in the Championship he should have a better season. I think he could be a good number one at this level. Uh, Ryan Manning is probably the most obvious transfer that was going to happen of the whole summer coming in at left-back. And then you've got midfield, you've got Smallbone. At the minute, you've got Lavier, and at the minute, you've got Ward-Prowse. So they've got good options in there to score goals. The front three is the the thing that could really elevate this team. How, you know, Burnley have already had a couple of bids not back for Nathan Teller. Is he going to go? Are they going to keep him? Can they get Adam Armstrong scoring goals like he did for Blackburn, which earned him his move to the Premier League? Those are the big questions. And how quickly can Russell Martin get his style implemented on this group. They've still got Carl Walker-Peters, for example. They've still got Livramento. So I think if the squad, you know, if you told me the Southampton squad's going to go in to the season and the transfer window, like if it shut today and this was their squad, I probably would have them top two. I still think the squad's going to look quite different in the next month because I think people will start picking off some of their talent and Southampton have decisions to make on how they reinvest that and whether they accept the offers. But it's a really good squad to work from as a base. How quickly does Martin get that style across? Those are the big questions, and I've just gone for them outside the top two. But the more I think about it, I'm sort of talking myself into thinking maybe I've gone a little bit low and maybe I should have got them in the top two. But I've gone third based on expected sales, really, rather than the squad they've got currently. It's a top two squad right now, but will it be at the end of the window? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, third place for me, I've gone for Coventry City. Um, I'm really excited about the potential of this football club. I can't lie. I think after what they achieved last season with obviously falling so, so short of getting into the Premier League, it was it was a fairy tale, wasn't it, for both themselves and Luton. It was going to be the one of the stories of the one of the stories of the decade, really, in the Championship. Whoever won that playoff final at Wembley and Coventry, unfortunately, then fell short on penalties at, you know, losing 6-5 after a 1-1 draw. But as you mentioned earlier on discussing Coventry, Victor Jokerez is obviously a, a huge loss. 34 goal contributions in all competitions last season. That is a big chunk of goals that you've got to replace. Got good money for him. And Doug King, the owner, has reinvested it very well into the playing squad so far. He seems to have got very big, grand ambitions for the football club, both on and off the pitch. And there's so much positivity around that club at the moment. Ellis Sims, as you mentioned, is, is the statement signing so far. Three and a half million pounds up front could rise significantly if they achieve promotion. And I quite like the addition of Ellis Sims. I thought he looked really good in that stint he had at Sunderland in the first half of last season. His record was quite good. Seven goals and two assists in just 17 games. Looked lively, proven he could handle the, the capabilities at this level. 
He's gone quite well in pre-season, I've noticed as well. I think he's got four goals so far in his, his pre-season campaign, which is quite solid. And then you look at, obviously, Sims as the, as the statement signing of of, Sund- of Coventry this season. He's only really been the sort of main attacking signing. So a lot of the others have been at the other end of the pitch, quite defensive signings, rebuilding that area of the team. Obviously, like you said, losing Doyle. Uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey was another player that was quite key for them last season. But they've, they've brought in... Um, Van Awick, who's coming from the Netherlands, quite a good reputation by all accounts. I don't know anything about apparently him. He's comment. absolutely rapid. Rapid, he is rapid. So I've read him. Apparently, he was the fastest player in in the Dutch league, the Eredivisie, last season. Uh, apparently, three and a half million pounds. I think I've read for him. Uh, and then on the other side of that back five, Jada Silva's come in, really solid, astute signing, done quite well at Championship level with Bristol City. And then, you know, there's been a few other little little additions here and there, hasn't there, with like Bobby Thomas, who you've mentioned, um, Joel Latabadure, I think that's how you say it. It's always one of them that I struggle with, who's coming from Swansea on a free. I think that's quite a, a quite a solid, sensible signing. So there's a lot to like. And Mark Robbins has made no secret of the fact that he still wants more. He does need further additions. I think he said a couple of weeks ago, prior to probably bringing in the last three players, something like that, that he wanted another 10. So there could at least be another five or six, maybe, come through the door yet before the end of the summer. And with the way Coventry are willing to spend the cash, there's no reason why they shouldn't get those players, because they are, at the minute, they are an attractive proposition. And, you know, they fell just short last year, so there will be an expectancy for them to go again. There's no doubt about that. The expectation level will be there. And, of course, the big elephant in the room, which you mentioned, Gustavo Hamer. He is still there. He is still their player. And speculation about him leaving does seem to be sort of easing off a little bit. So could they retain him? If they do, that automatically boosts their hopes straight away. And then you look at the other players that are still there. Callum O'Hare, like you said, to come back from injury. Jamie Allen, solid last season, played a key role. Ben Sheaf is very capable. Josh Eccles kicked on at times. And then you've got Casey Palmer, who's been quite good in pre-season. If you can keep him fit, you've got another match winner there that can create something out of nothing. Matt Godden up front, still a steady Eddie. We'll do a job, we'll get your goals. So I think Coventry, as a base at the minute, they've got a lot to work with, a lot to be excited about. Further additions are guaranteed to come. And personally, I think after getting in the playoffs last season, finishing in fifth place, I don't see any reason why they can't kick on that little bit further this year and scoop third. So that's where I've got Coventry. And if they were to achieve, if they were to achieve third, that would be another amazing achievement for a club that you know not that long ago were, were renting out Northampton's ground at Sixfields and playing in League Two. Absolutely. Um, top two, second place, I've got Middlesbrough, which is obviously quite a juxtaposition to what you went for just missing out. I think a full pre-season under Michael Carrick after the signs we saw last year should make a big difference. You know, they finished they finished in the playoffs. They nearly got the top two, George, and they were, what, in the bottom three, just outside the bottom three when he took over. So having a full season at it under his style... They made some good additions in the January transfer window, which they've still got. We didn't see anything of Barlizer, for example. He could have a good year. He can really step on. They are a little bit short in a few areas. I'm not going to lie. I still think they need another striker, as you said, to replace Cameron Archer. They need a left back. They wanted Ryan Giles back. He's obviously gone to Luton Town, so they need a left back. But I just have confidence that with a full pre-season under Michael Carrick, under their belt, they've made some good signings that I think could be quite a stew and could be some hidden gems in there. I just feel like with the style of play, they could blow some teams away, particularly at the Riverside Stadium, which was obviously a big 
part of their success last year. They, they were a bit of a fortress there, hitting teams for four, three, four, five goals. They weren't great defensively, and that's something they're going to have to be better at at times because when they come up against the other top teams that they'll be competing against, they've got firepower too, and they, they're going to leave themselves really open at times, um, which was a problem. I think Dieng's a good signing and goal. I think it's probably an upgrade, depending on whether we see the Dieng of last year or the Dieng of the few years before that, where he was one of the best goalkeepers in the championship. And maybe we'll see a bit more from Isaiah Jones as well, because he had a really good breakthrough under Chris Wilder. Didn't really play much under Carrick, but then he started to play a little bit more towards the back end, started to redefine his role as a, you know, really as a right winger rather than anywhere near right back or right wing back. And I think he could add that bit of something that they didn't have maybe last year that, you know, after more time with Carrick, more tactical um, instructions that he'll be able to take on board, he could be the sort of difference maker for them to get them in the top two. So I've gone for Middlesbrough in second. I do think it'll be tight. The more I've spoke about it, I'm umming and ahhing with Southampton and Borough, to be honest, for, for the top two. And if you'd given me another week, I might have gone Southampton and Middlesbrough in third. But I think that they are strong and I think they'll definitely be in the top six. And I'm excited to see what we see from them under Michael Carrick this year. Well, it's fair to say we've both selected the same team to lift the title, which will probably be no shock to anybody. So in second place for me, I have got Southampton. I do believe that Russell Martin is a really good appointment for them. And some may argue that he's not really achieved anything as such in his managerial career as of yet. But I think with the way Southampton have gone through managers in the last few months, obviously Hassan Hootl to Jones to, to Sellers, it feels like a good match. A club in need of a reset with a manager who's looking to kick on and kind of take that next step. So I think Southampton have got a very good manager here that could build them for what they need and what he needs for his own career. So it feels like a good match. The squad currently, as it stands, is is very, very good. It's a very, very good championship squad, but it is undoubtedly going to change before the end of the window. The likes of Ward-Prowse, Romeo Lavia, Nathan Teller are probably the, the three standouts that are likely to leave. Burnley remaining very keen to sign Teller. Liverpool chasing Lavia. West Ham reportedly very keen on Ward-Prowse. So you would expect those deals, even if it doesn't happen this week before the first game of the season on Friday for Southampton away at Sheffield Wednesday. By the end of the window, you'd expect those three to depart. But even if those three do go, you would expect Southampton to bring in reinforcements, bring in you know, new faces to to fill the gaps that they've they've left vacant. But on top of that, you look at the players that Southampton have got in forward areas currently in Che Adams and Adam Armstrong, and they are two players that are more than capable of scoring goals at this level by the bucket load, you would expect. If they play together, you know, whether Armstrong can drift a little bit wider, maybe sit a little bit deeper, he's got the ability to run the show at this level. We saw at Blackburn what he's capable of. I, I think he's a fabulous player at Championship level. Not quite worked out in the Premier League, but at Championship level, as we saw at Blackburn, he, he is, you know, he, he's deadly. So I think Southampton will be up there. I really do. I think they need more players, but they're gonna get they're gonna get them once you know sales go through, big name stars depart, which is to be expected. I'd be absolutely astounded if the likes of Lavia, Ward Prowse, and Teller are still there come the end of the window. Recruitment in terms of bringing players in so far has been it's been quite slow. To be fair, it's not been. It's not been blistering. Ryan Manning, obviously the, the most eye-catching addition, only one of four players brought in. Jay Charles is obviously coming from Manchester City. Young prospect, but a very much an unknown quantity. Big difference from playing youth football to championship football, you know, going from one step to the other immediately without, you know, say a, a spell anywhere else. 
But reading between the lines from reports of Southampton fans who have watched their friendlies, though they've only won one of their five pre-season friendlies this summer, losing losing three of that five, they have played some quite good teams, it must be said. The performances Southampton fans have said have been there. They seem to have adopted the style that Russell Martin wants quite quickly. They seem to have developed quite a good understanding of it. And then you look at the, you know, at the other end of the pitch. They've got good, solid players in defence. James James Breeze there. You know, Carl Walker Peters. He's another one. Will he stay? Will he go? Jack Stevens is very good. Joe Rebo in midfield. He's got the ability to dominate games at this level. Gavin Bazunu in goal. Solid Championship shot stopper. There's a lot to like about Southampton, and I think that you know the the bedrock is there for Russell Martin to build something quite successful. Will Smallbone, I think, worth another mention. Don't know if he'll if he'll leave or stay. I was really impressed by him out on loan at Stoke City last season. I think he could do a job in that Southampton midfield. So at the minute, it's quite hard to gauge a judgment of come the end of the window, what Southampton's first choice 11 will look like, because there probably will be quite a few sales still to come. But I think the players that you'd probably expect to stick around, they're going to be top-end championship players. And the players they're going to bring in are going to be key. You can guarantee Southampton will poach one or two star-studded Premier League loanees. They'll kick on. So for that reason, I think Southampton top two charges certainly within within reach for them, and that's why I've got them in second place. And then our championship winners, Leicester City for both of us. Yep. Enzo Maresca. It sounds boring, but it makes sense for me. High ceiling, probably a maybe a lower floor than some of the other managers, but they've got. I mean, that squad is silly, isn't it? And I know yeah. we've seen it before, but they've also got cash to spend because they've sold Barnes, they've sold Madison. I'm intrigued to see what it looks like on the pitch because are they going to play back three? Are they going to play back four? It might be a back four sort of in possession with Callum Doyle maybe at left back, Cody and Suter at centre half, Castagna and or Ricardo at right back, and then maybe in possession becomes more of a back three with um, with Doyle tucking around obviously as a left centre back. They've got so many options. Keenan Dewsbury Hall should be an absolute standout at this level. Um, they're going to sign more players. Medivi's coming in from, um, is it Montpellier? Who's that? Yes. In France? Yeah. It's Montpellier, yeah. He's coming in for decent money as a, as a wide option. They've still got Vardy. They've still got Daka. They've still got Iheanacho. The squad is silly. They've got a... Signed Harry Winks, another one. Harry Winks is someone... Him and Dewsbury Hall should be the best midfield pairing probably yeah. in the league. I just think they should win the league and something will have gone seriously wrong if they don't, to be honest, George. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Recruitment, you know, the likes of, of Cody coming in, Winks, they are, you know, even though Cody's getting on in his career, they're big name signings for a championship club. I mean, to, to think that a team has invested £10 million in Harry Winks, it's remarkable that they've managed to drop him into the championship. I know obviously he's had a loan spell away from Tottenham at Sampdoria in Italy, did quite well out there. But it wasn't that long ago that Gareth Southgate was talking about building his England midfield around him. And obviously his career has not quite worked out, but at championship level, he should be a standout. You've mentioned Keenan Dewsbury Hall there. We've seen what he did at this level with Luton. Very impressive. And he's grown as a player since then. Callum Doyle was excellent at Coventry last season. You can guarantee that maybe one or two more lone players will come in from Manchester City with Enzo Mariska's connections. Jamie Vardy, though he's 36, he will get goals at this level. He's still got it, I think. What was it? I think did he did he get close to double figures in the Premier League last season? I might be wrong. I seem to think he got quite close, or maybe he did get into double figures. And then you look at some of the players that Leicester have still got, may probably leave before the window goes. But at the minute, Wilfred Ndidi's still there, Dennis Pratt's still there, Hamza Chowdhury as well, uh, Bubakari oh, okay. Samare, 
they've got ridiculous, you know, ridiculous depth in central midfield. It is absolutely ridiculous. They probably just need to do something in terms of out wide. I think that's where they need something. So they're nearly set. The, the squad is very, very good. And I think another one worth mentioning, that if he can maintain his fitness, and obviously that's been a troublesome problem for him, James Justin. He, he's a fabulous player that I really like. Can play right back, can play left back. Ricardo Pereira is still there. You know, people listening to this, if they've managed to stick with us for more than two hours, we've not, you know, kind of sent them to sleep and bored them to death. But I think Leicester winning the league, it sounds sort of boring. It's They're just following, you know, the, the trend set where, where everybody else has said. But how do you look past this Leicester team to win this league? On paper, that squad is ridiculous for this level. It really is already. And there's going to be further additions. I just think when you look at what we, you know, it seems hours ago since we started with QPR at the bottom, you compare their squad to what Leicester have got at the top, it's just a complete mismatch, isn't it? The the, the depth that this Leicester team has got, the quality of it, I just think it's impossible to look past Leicester on this for, for the title. Enzo Maresco, obviously, a bit of an unknown quantity, but having worked with Pep Guardiola, he's bound to have learned a trick or two. Leicester have obviously seen him as the man to, you know, guide them back to the Premier League at the first attempt. And I think overall... If they don't achieve that, it is a massive failure. Final point, I do think mentality-wise, these Leicester players, the ones that stay, will have a point to prove. Because it's probably yeah, the best team that's ever gone down. It's probably quite an embarrassing relegation, really. They never should have been in this situation. So I think mentality-wise, I do think there'll be that hunger. I do think there'll be that ambition and drive to prove that that was a real fluke season for them. I don't think we will see a Stoke of 2018 when they had that really good squad when they first came down and everyone was tipping them to win league and they massively flopped under Rowett. Um, I do think that they will have that motivation and drive and they've signed good characters that will drive the standards like Cody. So I, I just think like if something if Leicester don't get promoted, something's gone badly wrong. So for me, Leicester City are the champions for both of us. Let's do a quick recap of the top six and the bottom three, George. Your top six is... So Leicester at the top, then Southampton in second, Coventry third, Leicester fourth, Millwall fifth and Sunderland in sixth. I've got Leicester City to win the league, Middlesbrough in second, Southampton in third, Leeds United in fourth, Sunderland in fifth and Coventry City sixth. And at the bottom, I've got Sheffield Wednesday in 22nd, Rotherham United in 23rd and Queen's Park Rangers rock bottom at 24th. And for me, Huddersfield in 22nd place, Wednesday down in 23rd and QPR rock bottom, unfortunately, in 24th for, for them. And that rounds off a bumper 1-24 to episode for the Championship Chat podcast. Thank you so much if you've stuck with us for just over two hours. Obviously, these podcasts take a lot of research. They take a lot of time. So please support the podcast. Send it to a friend if you've enjoyed it. Share it on social media. We'd be really appreciative. These podcasts always do the best numbers for us. It's our biggest podcast of the year every year. So if you do enjoy it, please send it to other people so they can enjoy it too. And thank you for sticking with us. Stick with us for the rest of the season as well. Again, once again, this year we'll have fresh insight on all the weekend action every Monday morning for you um, throughout the season, every single match day. So make sure you're subscribed in all usual places, wherever you get your podcasts from and follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. Have a great week, and next Monday we'll be talking about and rounding up the first weekend of the championship season 23-24. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.